I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch the best movies from last year. Here we are in the future. Here we are in the future and it's bright. Nothing to fear, no one to fight. I can't believe we've come so far. Happily ever after, here we are. Once upon a time, I thought I'd always be. Hey, Pete. Hey, Carrie. Hi. Welcome to 2021. How does it feel? TBD. Probably. Probably bad. Senator, I uh, do not recall. I invoke my Fifth Amendment privileges. Yeah, uh, I'll just I'll get this out of the way now. We're recording this, and I've started to preface this for some of the 2021 episodes we're recording. This is the first one. This is our January kickoff episode, uh, but we're recording this in September of 2020. So if you feel like we're too happy or too sad, um, it's because uh, our reality is probably different than than your reality listening to this. So I, I'm getting that out of the way. The other thing I'll get out of the way is that we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. Pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that theme in a month's time and if we remember we compare and contrast and the more i say that the worse i get at it which is weird but not this not this uh not this week peter this is our fifth annual best movies of the year before special so today we are covering the best movies of 2019 because we're not fancy paid critics most of our listenership comes from fake russian bots that we pay so it's actually the opposite no one is paying us to do this and as such no one's paying us to say i don't know go see movies at fancy screeners the at the month and week that they come out it's actually frankly we've been doing this for a while peter it's it's insulting yeah yeah bold <laughs> That's Wait, what the is bots the, out there. Is the, yeah, no, I get it. Is the implication that my co-host is also a paid <laughs> Russian bot? <laughs> <laughs> zero, zero, one, zero, 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 zero. Oh, no. <laughs> what about our guest? Carrie, Carrie. <laughs> you speak binary. It's only a matter of time. Oh, I, I knew this was too good to be true. Did you think people wanted to hang out with you in real life, Aaron? Come on. Well, I mean, a lot of things are coming to light right now, and it's very hard to take, but we're going to power through this. Uh, but yeah, we we don't, you know, we don't get a chance to see all the movies that come out right when that that cutoff for making a best list is. Uh, and there's a lot of great movies. We we like time to sit on stuff, watch it, watch it a couple times, or at least say we're going to watch things multiple times, and then create giant lists of comprehensive movies we're going to catch up with and then still spend the week before we're recording trying to get in a couple that we needed to get into. Because, uh, uh, as anyone knows who buys movies, once you uh, once it doesn't feel like it's a rush, it just sits there forever and you don't do anything with it. Uh, and that's what it means to be an American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> preparing for a different alternative version of you that has more time and freedom than you'll ever have and and does stuff ahead of time it doesn't procrastinate but yeah this is uh this is our procrastination episode and we are joined by for the first time on on our end of year specials or end of last year specials uh executive producer we love to watch also potentially uh a russian bot that i imagined in my head carrie nelson hello 
Welcome is, to the show. Yeah, welcome is, back, Carrie. It is so lovely to be here. And I feel like I'm in this like weird temporal space because we're recording this for the new year and I just yeah. did the new year last week too. So I can genuinely say happy new year. Happy New Year. Now, I apologize. But is it is it 5820? 5781. Oh, I was way off. Way off. Oh. But that's fine. You had some of the digits correct. Yeah, I think, I <laughs> think were last there were year, numbers in there. There was a five and an eight, and you got those. Unfortunately, it's Price is Right rules, and I went over. <laughs> so I have lost yeah. all my, my cred. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so well how yeah it is the new year for you already as we're recording this uh i hope it's it it doesn't seem like it's going good no it's uh, terrible aaron your, your really... bench status is revoked i i've tried so hard to get there <laughs> <laughs> give up your bench card <laughs> um can we edit this out and i can uh walk home with dignity tonight <laughs> Walking home in this case is walking up a flight of stairs uh, <laughs> to the place where I live. But yeah, uh, we're going to get on with it pretty quick because we have so much to talk about today. So uh, we are going to go through, as we've done in previous years, um, uh, just rotate as a kind of a classic podcast format. It's a list and people go back and forth on it. And we're going to start by going through first some notable misses. Even though we had way more time than all these professional critics, we're still lazy and we didn't get to a lot. Uh, and so we're going to talk about anything that's worth calling out that we kind of regret not getting a chance to watch. And also, uh, hopefully, if people go, why the fuck didn't you have that on your list? It's because we didn't get to it. Um, or because we hated it. Uh, and then we're going to go through some, we call them Ani Menchies. Those are movies that are not necessarily, or wait, no, they're Speshi Menchies. Peter, you got to Spe- correct me if I do this Speshi Menchies. Ani Menchies is an entirely, terrible, different thing. Equally important as Menchies. But uh, yeah, they're Speshi Menchies. And those are just two movies that we want to call out that uh, uh, did not make our top 15. But we either want to recommend to you or want to have something we want to say about it. It can be anything. Really, there's no rules for Speshi Menchies. Uh, Speshi Menchies is the Thunderdomesies of We Love to Watch. It is It is truly where two two movies enter. Um, but I don't think it's like the Thunderdome in that I think two movies also get to leave. They both, they, not only do they leave, they're available for rent on most digital streamers. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, <laughs> it's, it's uh, like when... Uh, 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 two musicians perform a duet. Uh, they're both yeah. They're more available, available than ever. When yeah, the special mentioned Thunderdome. I, I I feel like the Thunderdome analogy is um, what's the term? Um, apt. Ba- <laughs> <laughs> what's <it>? inapt? <laughs> Inaptitude? <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's apt. It's just reversed. It's a reverse. It, it's a perfect metaphor, except uh, bizarro thunderdome. Yeah, it's a yeah. lightning concave <laughs> half <laughs> semicircle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, graph that for me. But it's it, regardless. I think it's right. Then we do Ani Menchies, which are uh, the our second favorite Menchies, or at least top two. If Special Menchies and Ani Menchies went into some sort of concave. <laughs> 
<laughs> circle. <laughs> um, both could also come out of there because they're both wonderful. Ani Menchies are our uh, fifteen through eleven. Uh, we're we don't we're not going to rotate through all those, but there are uh, movies that we loved, but not quite enough to make our. Top 10. And then we're going to do, we, were, we had been calling it the worst movie of the year, but it's it's probably the most hated movie of the year. It's just a movie that we just fucking just did not like. I would bet a lot of money on what Carrie's is. Um, <laughs> you definitely I, know. I would bet a lot of money that Peter and mine is the same. Uh, yes. Um, but, yes. Uh, but we're still going to go through the motions. Um, and uh, when, when Carrie says that I won't do my planned prank of saying it's my number one movie of the year. Uh, I, which I was gonna do, but it seems extra mean, uh, it, and it's definitely not my number one movie of the year. I did not. I, I am very mixed on video uh, where uh, Carrie threw up on herself on the subway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Carrie's least favorite movie of the year. Aaron's joking about making it his number one. Yeah, uh, that's actually my favorite television show. I, I call it a one episode miniseries. Uh, <laughs> she had an empty stomach. Okay. Well, I know that was in the audio commentary, but we can't count that part of it. You can only count what's on the screen. Uh, Cinema. Uh, Well, and then we're going to go through uh, in reverse order our one through ten favorite movies of 2019. And this was um, this was definitely a year where it's odd. Like looking at my list, I feel like my top 40 movies are would under other circumstances all be in contention to be in my top 15. Like there's, there's yeah. so many good movies I saw, but then like the quality of, maybe again, some of it's just what I ended up watching this year. I saw a lot of shit. Um, and some of that is because I have kids that I take to the movies now. So I saw Aladdin and Lion King and all that stuff. I'm still not convinced Aladdin's a movie. Uh, barely. <laughs> like it is, it is less of a movie than The Lion King, and that is saying something. Oh, um, it feels like a prank show where someone convinced it, convinced me that the Aladdin actually existed. It is like it is. Yeah. I How think, is it uh, compared to Beauty and the Beast? That was the only one I saw. Of the Beauty and the ones. Beast is fucking boring. Yeah. Um, Aladdin is like it was made by a rival studio without Disney's money after they secured the license. It is bizarre. Amazing. Um, that that sounds fun, actually. Golan and Globus. Uh. It is like it is like like I know better CGI exists. Yet it looks like uh, like Will Smith as the genie looks like the Scorpion King. I don't know what's happening. Uh, it is um, it's insane. Uh, and not very good, but uh, yeah, it's it's super bad. So yeah, my quality drop off. I th- feel like my like then. So I saw about ninety movies. I feel like from forty to sixty, it's a lot of like three stars. Like yeah, I'm glad I watched it. Movies like there, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of those. Like yeah, that was pretty good. I'd I'd buy it and watch it again. And then it feels like my ninety through sixty is like just a cream of shit. <laughs> uh, b- but of varying degrees. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, a lot of good movies in that in that top echelon. I'm sure some other good ones I didn't get a chance to see. So let's start there. Peter, you're going to be kicking us off this year. What what were some notable movies that you had planned to get to that didn't get a chance? Uh, you just said A Hidden Life. Uh, I uh, planned to watch it in that I said I like Terrence Malick movies. And then I didn't watch it because I, I, I watched the trailer and I was like, well, not sure I need that in my brain right now. Um, so that was that was a conscious choice. 
Yeah, that's a conscious choice. I was like, my fifth, my top 15 is already pretty good. Not sure I need to do this to myself. Um, I missed uh, Atlantics, which is a, a movie that um, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, one of you two pushed on me. Um, and I <laughs> am going to, and I've heard uh, very good things about um, outside of uh, Carrie's recommendation. Um, but uh, I didn't get to that. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else I, I fucked up. I'm sure I'll come up with with stuff as you guys go. Um, but I feel like this year I did a I did a decent job of getting through um, a lot of the notable ones, and that was because mm-hmm. uh, you know there was a lot more time at home this year. So that there was. Uh, Carrie, what did you not get a chance to watch that uh, you you know have a pang of guilt around? The the first one that I feel like I need to mention because I have a feeling it will come up in discussion later is I didn't see The Lighthouse, which feels like a pretty big one of the year with a lot of discussion around. Um, yeah. Yeah? Okay. We might, we might talk about it. No, I know. I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it'll probably... Yeah, it'll Aaron, probably shut up. Let her spill her beans. I... Uh, <laughs> Most of my guilt is actually around all of the docs I didn't see because yeah. I am a doc person and there were just... Uh, a- like docs where boats go up to. Exactly. So you didn't and see the docs in the movie The Lighthouse. That's also that, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Not worth interrupting you. I didn't... <laughs> Peter, anything can be cinema. Um, yeah, hit, hit us with your doc. Your doc. I didn't list. see. I didn't see for Sama. I didn't see Birds of Passage. Um, I didn't see One Child Nation. I didn't see Varda by Agnes. I didn't see Edge of Democracy. Those are the big ones that I really want to try to make a point of. And something about how like this is going to sound terrible, but I think there's something about like how with the stressful time we're in right now. I feel like I need the escapism of fiction like slightly more than usual so Uh, all of the docs i really wanted to watch i just like was never in the mood for (laughs) which is like so embarrassing to say but yes 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 but they will still be there yes i'm I'm with you um i also have i have one doc in my entire whatever my rough like top 30 list i have one documentary i have i think two that i'm gonna end up talking about which is something, but yeah, it's not you know, it's not enough <laughs> <laughs> for somebody that Next works time. in documentary film. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So some big ones, like from the, like a critical perspective, that I kind of uh, I did want to see. They weren't jumping out at me on my list, which was stuff like Ad Astra, Marriage Story, Her Smell, Nineteen Seventeen, like. I didn't get to any of those. I think I would have liked uh, most of those, especially like Her Smell is the one I'm most on that list that I'm bummed I didn't get to. Uh, And then there were just some like theoretically Aaron picks I didn't get to, like um, Knife and Heart, Under the Silver Lake. And uh, yeah, there's uh, I guess a few more looking at this list that I missed. Like I suppose Last last Black Man in San Francisco and Fourth Sama are kind of two more critical darlings that I really want to see. They just didn't make it in time for for this particular list and then there's all the like kind of stuff that like like i don't think that el camino would have ended up on this list but i still eventually need to get around to that oh yeah um (laughs) uh do we want to talk about um the ani menchies yeah, we're gonna we're moving right to Ani Menchie. Well, spe- no, Speshi Menchie. Oh, damn it! Speshi comes it. before Ani. Obviously. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, alphabetically, no. <laughs> but in terms of uh, how we but did the in, show, yeah. Peter, if we, if we did land. these lists alphabetically, it would be incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> Number uh, 15, according to Webster's. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my... Uh, What's my your specials? Uh, my one that I'm going to list is a movie made only for me uh, <sighs> and Aaron. Um, and it's a movie called I Trapped the Devil. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that was on my list of things I didn't get to that I was kind of bummed about. Watch it for Christmas. Just... It's Christmas horror. Um, oh, yeah. It's a it's a slow burn horror movie very much in the style of Ty West, um, though it's not directed by Ty West. Um, and it has a lot We've of... been missing Ty West. We need Ty West we back. We need Ty West. So... It does have A.J. Bowen in it, though, so at least you're getting uh, a, a few of those mumble gore guys in there. But anyways... Um, the uh, I Trapped the Devil is a uh, lovely horror movie uh, about uh, two brothers, one of them who might have deep, deep mental issues, uh, reuniting around the holidays and uh, what that means for them when one of them tells one of the brothers who has a uh, deep mental issues, very likely, uh, says that he trapped the devil in his basement in a sealed room. Um, and the movie just goes from there. Them arguing, um, them coming together, them arguing again. Uh, it's it's largely a, a horror drama centered around this this particular conflict. And then my other one is cheating because I'm putting two movies in there uh, as a special menchie. And it's uh, that's a, hey, hold on, that's a classic special menchie thing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm just following in your footsteps, uh, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> one time I named five horror movies as one special menchie. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh man, I just Look, want I a special mention that horror movies happened this year. Anyways, Look, here are fifteen special menchies has no rules like some sort of inverse concave circle <laughs> <laughs> these are united by a concept though which is yeah. this is the year of the tv show capper so mm-hmm. el camino was one and the deadwood okay. movie was the other and, oh yeah uh they actually function in different forms el camino was a movie that i didn't watch uh for a while because um i didn't think it was necessary i thought breaking bad had just about a perfect ending there was kind of nothing left to do there and uh we didn't really need much much more um deadwood was a show that i disagreed with with some some folks that thought that it was kind of a perfect ending as is um sort of us in the middle of a you know this limbo of a big fight um i disagreed that's sort of the 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 consensus that that came to over the years is like all we're gonna get is deadwood so you better come to peace with the fact that it's gonna end kind of in the middle of things hold Um, on can you do more uh commentary in the tenor of the monty python argument sketch guys like you just did (laughs) (laughs) you're just like i disagree (laughs) i i you know i'm uh (laughs) i can disagree with myself all day long if you want um i just need like two more coffees and i'm good to go um but deadwood the movie was i think uh the sort of cathartic capper that i needed um to end the show say goodbye to these characters and uh both of them were deeply cathartic for me and I didn't realize how much I needed both of them until I was, it was about halfway through. Uh, sorry. I didn't realize how much I needed both of them until I reached the conclusion on both of them. And I was started like welling up with tears because these are characters that you spend so much time with. And it's nice to have this sort of epilogue to their stories. Not necessarily, um, not necessarily, you know, uh, the, 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 the story uh, continuing, them opening up the story, sort of them saying uh, time has moved on, time has passed, we need to put away the past and uh, look towards the horizon. And like, that's why I I wanted to link those two movies together, because that was a 
it's a cool thing. Like we got fan we got fan service this year that was actually good. Yeah, that that doesn't happen often. I feel like we're getting more fan service that's good, like Twin Peaks and I mean Twin Peaks isn't fan service, but I guess none of these are because they all involve the original creator. So Twin Peaks it's... is fan service for um people that were fans of like David Lynch's like weirder work, not necessarily fans of Twin Peaks. There are a couple uh, fan servicey moments in the return, but not very many. Yeah. It's also helpful for people that like to be extremely obstinate during list-making season. Yes. <laughs> it is great for that. Carrie, what are yes. your special menchies? Uh, my first special menchie is, a, a, I think, a very underseen movie that I loved called Wild Nights with Emily. Mm, it I is a it. Uh, Emily Dickinson lesbian rom-com. Uh, starring Molly Shannon. And what? Yes. And it is so nice. It is funny and weird and sweet and like really sad, but like it, it has the most good natured approach to telling. I, I, I didn't see, uh, the Cynthia Nixon, Emily Dickinson movie from a few years ago that I hear is quite good. Um, but this movie is very much about, like, debunking the misconceptions of her being this, like, recluse, sexless person who, like, didn't, uh, want to have interactions with anybody. It makes her someone who was super lively and, uh, so invested in her work and so invested in the, I I guess the, the, the true story is that she was in a relationship with her brother's wife for, like, ever. Um, and th- at least what they posit in the film is that the reason why this one married her brother was so that they could, like, still be close with one another. Um, and it's a really lovely story. So I really recommend it if you haven't seen it. And uh, the second one I wanted to mention is I Lost My Body. Which is a French Ooh, yes, animated. Oh yes, I have heard of that one. Oh yeah. my god, it's uh, it's so strange, and the animation is beautiful, and it's I think maybe my favorite score of any movie I saw last year. Um, but a story about, I mean, about this hand that is trying to reunite itself with the body that it is no longer attached to and seeing, you know, the incidents that led up to the moment of the severing and then the adventures kind of that the hand has been going on. And it's, it's very odd. Um, but another very like strangely tender, uh, nice film that, uh, I don't think enough people have been talking about. That sounds actually like really lovely, and I have no idea why I haven't heard of that because I'm a I, I, I'm a Molly Shannon head. Um, I, uh, I was gonna say is I uh, I, I uh, we we talked up how funny she is in like very bad movies uh, a few times in this show. Yeah. We, we did oh, yeah. it in December as well um, mm-hmm. for the Grinch. She's <laughs> honestly like this is some of the best work I've ever seen her do, and yeah. Awesome. Uh, so for my special menchies, I'm only going to have one per menchie, which is a, a big twist for me. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Are you all right, man? 
Did you even watch movies this year? I saw exactly 17 movies. Um, <laughs> Great. Uh, no. Uh, no, and also, these are... Normally, I try to call out movies that are, like, in the 30s and 40s, but, like, there is two movies that are 18 and 23, respectively, that I really wanted to talk about. Um, I'm kind of bummed. I, I just can't, like, in good conscience, not get them in the top 15, because there's 15 other movies I want to talk about a little bit more. And But I... I, I would feel like I'd be missing something if I didn't get into them. So one is a movie where sometimes you see a movie, even among your friends, and you feel like you are in an island that the critical world, your friends um, and and like movie internet online friends, like everyone is against the movie. And you watch it and you're just like, what the hell is everybody talking about? Like, you feel like you are woke up in like that Twilight Zone where everyone has a pig face or whatever. And you're like, this, what is going on? Um, and that for me this year was for Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is, you know, my my 18th favorite movie directed by, I don't know, I was going to say friend of the show, but someone that we're like, f- we're fond of Soon on to the be show. friend of the show. Yeah, we we we'll want to be friends with him. Yeah, um, we have no connections done, to them. No connections, but Michael Darty, who's done Krampus, which we've covered and love, and Trick or Treat, which we've covered a portion of and love. And uh, I just like the biggest complaint was that it um, had a didn't have a human story, and it it felt like that was what the movie was being judged on, which felt just super weird to me because a. Like most Godzilla movies, human stories are like, take it or leave it. B, I found that this one was actually relatively interesting and compelling for a human Godzilla movie. And C, the one that they said they felt like it was a step down from was Godzilla 2014, which uh, I get that Brian Cranston and Juliette Binoche are good in the first 20 minutes. Uh, but but kick-ass guy and Elizabeth Olsen have nothing to do for the rest of that movie. It is They're not so bad in that movie. So it's, it's so weird to be like, oh, the, but instead what you get is some, like, I think like a perfect, like, uh, American Godzilla movie. Like, I do really like Godzilla 2014, but it, it has a lot of the other monsters. Everything is, like, just super clean and crisp in its direction. And it, like, gives you what you want, which is, as much as I love the other Godzilla movies, like, a a Godzilla movie that looks like someone spent $250 million on it. Which, you know, is the one thing you don't get from the Toho Godzilla movies, which is part of their charm. But I think since we saw, like, uh, since since I heard as a kid, like, 1998's, uh, you know, Matthew Broderick, Roald Emmerich, Godzilla was coming out, you wanted, like, okay, I kind of want to see at least what this version looks like with, you know... Uh, an incredible budget and amazing special effects. And I don't think we ever got that till now. And it's just been uh, super weird that like, uh, that even other Godzilla fans were like, yeah, two stars. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I like it again. I, I felt like a Island uh, to myself and it really like, it's a movie I've seen since seeing it in theaters and I still loved it just as much. Um, so that's my, that's my first special Menchie. And my second one is the movie I've watched the most this year. And it's, uh, and then I've watched it five times. According to Letterboxd, it's been played at my house probably 30 times. Uh, but I only log it when I've paid attention to it. Um, <laughs> and that is actually something that the, uh, it's a movie that takes place at the end of one series, uh, and setting up a final miniseries, and that is the Steven Universe movie. Oh, nice. 
which is uh, so I Steven Universe was one of those shows that I always heard about that I had, had needed to get around to with quarantine and the 10 minute uh, nature of it. It was the perfect show to kind of watch with uh, Maya and myself, which became Maya and Elliot, which became Maya, Elliot and Shauna as she started watching in the background. And then like, uh, like, oh, are you going to watch one without me? Don't watch one without me. <laughs> Um, and so it's, it was like, you know, the original series, I think is something like 164 episodes. We watched all of that. Um, and every night Maya would rewatch ones and it just is such a good, good show on every conceivable level. Like, I don't know how much, uh, if you're listening, like Rebecca Sugar, the creator of that show, like it is a show that, um, you know, deals with LGBTQ issues and like there's trans characters on the show and like talks about the way that masculinity is presented all while being like a funny, fun um, adventure movie with this amazingly or adventure show with an amazingly intricate like um, science fiction narrative that like like also like handles like trauma seriously, but in a way that like a six year old can um, both a six-year-old and a 37-year-old can, like, recognize in different ways as, like, mm-hmm. being done well. So just a, just a fantastic show. And the movie is uh, amazing because it comes after everyone's victory in the show and then recognizes that, like, the, the, the great thing about Steven Universe is that the original show is about Steven Universe, like, fixing everyone else's life. And the movie sets up the miniseries Steven Universe Future, which is about recognizing that, like, you can't be a selfless saint and constantly push your own feelings and trauma into the center and just to help everyone else all the time. And even though the intentions are good, the damage it can do is is real um, to yourself. And so uh, the movie kind of sets that up. It's a great musical. We have all the... All the songs, which has always been the case with the show, um, playing all the time on various playlists my kids listen to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just to every 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 day for a month, Elliot, our two-year-old, was like, Steven, Steven. Um, <laughs> oh, that's not kidding. so they, nice. She, she gets what she wants primarily by chanting. I don't know where that came from, but um, <laughs> she can't. Um, and uh, so, yeah, if you have not, you know, it's it's a tough movie to recommend because I basically am saying, like, it's not that you can't get enjoyment out of the movie without having seen 144 10 minute episodes or whatever it is. Uh, but it's, it's much more fulfilling as a, as an offshoot from that. So, uh, but Steven universe is on Hulu and HBO max now, and they are 10 minute episodes. I, I know friend of the show, Brandon Lede calls it his favorite show of all time. Um, cannot recommend it highly enough and i the movie is just wonderful i have been meaning to get into it for a long time and i think this is probably what seals the deal i hope you do you will uh yeah you will love it so anyway that's best you menchies uh peter let's start going through them let's give your ani menchies you want me to go through my honorable mentions get the fuck <laughs> off the mic i get five honorable mentions and five ani menchies um, <laughs> Uh, um, my Ani Menchies, obviously. I'm gonna say Ani Menchies. I'm gonna pass up a, a, an opportunity like this, sir? Sir? Uh, my number 15 is Knives Out. Uh, Knives Out! Uh, I didn't know that I needed a murder mystery in my life. I knew I needed more Ryan Johnson movies, but I didn't know I needed a murder mystery in my life. And I think that this movie is, uh... I, I literally, like, went and dug up my Agatha Christie books after the time I saw this movie. Like, uh, I, I went and uh, I went and found them because I was like, I wanna I wanna check out like 
uh, the sort of structures again. And like, I miss giallos that were more like mystery focused because like this kind of structure when played well is not insufferable. It's not terrible. I thought I hated mysteries because I hated the idea of waiting around for murders to happen. And at the end, they're like, the reason for the murders is because you slept with my sister. And like, I, I had, I think Giallo's had tainted my memory of how good a good mystery could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Knives Out reminded me that like, uh, it's like every other genre. Um, it can be delicious. Um, us. Um, is my number 14. We're, we're running through all five. Yeah, no, you just run right yeah, through. Yeah. I will say, yeah, Knives Out did not make my list or my 15. It's number six, 17, 17. Oof. It was, it got bumped out. Uh, you hate it, to see I, it happen. Yeah. Hate to see it. it it's my 16. It's, a, it's so good. That's funny that we all had it right. <laughs> like right on the cusp. <laughs> almost like exactly 15 movies better than it, but, uh, still <laughs> is a fantastic. It's movie. also the movie I will probably on this list, the movie I will see more times in my life. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, it's I easy one to show people. Yeah. Yeah. I'll end up watching it the most times in my life. Uh, number 14, us. Um, I am. So can I can I pause to say I'm extremely surprised to see that that this low for you? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I uh, this was a this was a film that I admire the craftsmanship of. I found it very um, I, I found it very uh, uh, satisfying and it's like basic core drama while also like being thought provoking. The aesthetic of it is gorgeous, yada yada. Um, but this was such a fucking good year for horror movies and yeah. the fact that um, I think that. I think that the the subtext of it and what I can read there is what'll make this movie come back to me and stick with me for forever. But the mm-hmm. horror thrills and the horror gags won't. Mm-hmm. Um, after that first twenty or that after that first whatever twenty to forty minutes, like the 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 build up and that opening monologue is obviously uh, incredible. But I just don't think like <clears throat> a lot of the later sort of slashery stuff is is gonna stick with me at all. Um, I think that what's going to stick with me is like how the movie made me feel about this secret society underground and how they're sort of subjugated. You know, what's interesting now that you're talking about it. I remember that we did have what's so funny about like, even though it's 2019 and it's, you know, theoretically a year ago for something like us that came out in February, it's almost two years ago. (laughs) And, and, uh, I remember I saw it first and now I am remembering that we had very differing, senses of it uh and i remember some long text exchanges uh from from that uh that time so uh so i guess maybe now that i'm remembering i'm glad it's your number 14 yeah it's not it's not quite as uh i was gonna say it's not quite as elegant as get out but uh that i shouldn't hold i i didn't hold that against the movie it still cracked my my onimenchies um number 13 is a movie that uh i i was uh I, I heard about from uh, the author of House of Leaves, Daniel Lewski. Um, oh, yeah. And then and from and, me. And, and then Aaron watched it, and he was like, you have to watch this. It's on Hulu right now. Or, sorry. <laughs> it was on Hulu at the end of 2019. Um, you can edit that out. Um, uh, it, it was actually on there at the end of 2020. Peter still does not understand how time works. I do not. <laughs> um, the uh, is Aniara. Uh, Aniara is a sobering brutal sci-fi drama uh and it is about the hopelessness of space and it is about how man sees themselves as occupying a much more important place in the universe than they actually do operate in and that uh that no one is out there to save us we have to save ourselves we have to fix things ourselves there's no one is going to come and rescue us 
Yeah, I'll hit a pause there just because it's going to be on my Ani Menchies too, and I might as well uh, just quickly talk about it now. Um, yeah, I said to Peter, like, you, you do need to see this. I think it'll crack your 15. Um, it is it is so weirdly similar to High Life, another 2019 movie. And though I really, really like High Life, and that's in, like, my top 30, um, this one, I think, just, like, matches my – at my most pessimistic, at, at the moments when I have the least faith in – us as a species and in the goodness of humanity and stuff like that like my aesthetic is this movie just a level of like bureaucracy ineptitude selfishness that uh, that eventually unravels um uh society and people that like just aren't able whether aren't able to or just feel like they can't really make a do anything by standing up to stuff and and again the inciting incident in this movie which doesn't feel like a spoiler because it's the first 10 minutes of the movie is that they are evacuating earth because uh, earth is dying due to global warming and they get shot off course and uh due to an explosion and their steering is compromised and uh now uh, literally like an ocean liner full of people except in space are stuck adrift for years and years and years unless someone can rescue them or they can somehow figure out a way to um to get around and so you kind of see over a longer time sale like specifically through a few characters the way that that society which theoretically could survive well as a society no problem except that like the nature of humanity ends up turning it into kind of a, a horror show uh, by the end but not the kind of horror show of high life like not it's just like it's just a or sad depressing or high rise yeah it's not it's not like um someone uh, it doesn't have that kind of like horror aesthetic of someone wants to be a serial killer or like aliens that attack or uh, some other force or even something as dramatic as they run out of electricity or something like that like it's just it's just about how like uh the lack of of hope or yeah whatever else like just ends up uh ends up literally over time like very sadly and mundanely like destroying everything uh destroying everything good and it's uh it's definitely a depressing watch it it hits a little bit different too because it is a bunch of people trapped together during covid times (laughs) not intended to be that but it definitely oh and uh, uh while we're recording this uh my state is on fire so yeah, oh, right. uh, yeah. global warming is very much on my mind. The uh, many people in the movie have burn um, burn wounds from global warming fires. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not a fun watch, but it was something that I couldn't look away from. It's kind so. of if you didn't like the third act of Sunshine, it's kind of like if it, it the the film just continued on that path, like dealing with practical issues. Uh, keep going forward on sort of a hopeless mission uh and then uh you know also um sunshine has a, a sense of hope uh just bleach that out of the picture that's not happening uh, but then add a hundred thousand more people uh, oh yeah and then it's it's a massive colony uh that that's coursing yeah. through space but uh yeah <clears throat> so uh that movie fucked with my brain for like two or three days um hustlers you are welcome yay uh, hustlers all Great. i'll say on this is that uh, I wish that this sort of kicked off like a um, Scorsese has a sort of a uh, tr- uh, true crime, um, uh, you know, flashy true crime uh, trio um, that's uh, uh, Goodfellas, Casino, uh, and uh, The Irishman. 
I kind of wish that this like director and actor team could like come back and do more movies that are just like true crime stories about women and just play different characters and just do like another awesome true crime story starring women and just do it again and again and again. Like I just want flashy stories from this crew over and over again because it's so fun. Also, like when the movie wants to hit you in the face, it hits you in the fucking face. Um, and the, the performances are amazing. A lot of the actors are already very well proven, but um, like, but like with J Lo, it's nice to have a reminder that she's like a, amazing. Jennifer Lopez is a really, really good actor. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice to have a routine reminder um, that uh, she's she's still a queen. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it did, it didn't make my list, but it's in the it's hanging out in the 30s, and I loved it quite a bit. It was actually the movie that kicked off my 2020 watching, and it was a great way to kick it off. Yes, uh, and then my my last one is uh, my last Ani Menchi is uh, One Cut of the Dead. Um, oh yeah, the first 10 minutes or so, you're gonna be like, why is this on everyone's best of the year list? <laughs> By um, everyone, you mean myself who texted you. Like, what is this <laughs> shit? Uh, <laughs> is it supposed to look like garbage? What? Am, yes. Should I move you'll, TVs? You'll 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 uh, get used to it after about ten minutes, and then the movie will sort of shift um, shift perspectives, and you will suddenly be dropped into without spoiling anything. You'll suddenly be dropped into a story about why filmmaking is so important. Why fil- Why um, the idea of making something with your friends and your kind of um, your loved ones is uh, such a, a, a crucial part of being alive. Um, and uh, why um, why independent film needs to thrive. I mean, this movie isn't really about an independent film, but you know what I mean. Um, it is it is a sort of the story of why. Independent I mean, film I know what you mean. Film needs I've to thrive that like. The, the, the bureaucracy uh, behind film can be quite deadening to the artistic experience and the idea of these like characters all just trying their hardest, improvising where they can, trying to get their story told is so goddamn inspiring. I love it. Yeah, it is great. Uh, Carrie. Yeah. Step up to the plate. It's your first time at Batterani. <laughs> you know how we use sports metaphors constantly on this show? All the time. Play ball. Play Cracker Jacks. <laughs> uh, my number 15 is Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. Ooh, yeah. It's uh, like 24 for me. I, I, I don't consider myself a big, like, concert doc person, but wow. <laughs> it yeah. is... It's stunning. Uh... I was actually really moved by there. There's a lot of behind the scenes footage in uh, this movie that talks about basically putting together her Coachella set and Mm -hmm. the process of getting ready for it. And she talks a lot about like what it is to be a mother now and like needing her body to be in like pitch perfect shape and what it is to balance all of those things and like it was a very intimate side of someone who's larger than life that really just like spoke to me uh yeah and i uh a a theater near me was playing it uh on the big screen that and i'm kicking myself i didn't get a chance to go because i bet seeing it in a theater would be incredible um but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't make as I mentioned. Didn't make my fifteen, but it's it's up there. It's in that like 
top echelon that I mentioned. Um, the other thing that did I, I just wanted to call out is because I, I do feel like the really good concert docs do this. It the the uh, pinnacle of this is like the first time I saw "Stop Making Sense." Like there were some Talking Head songs that um, I was like kind of sick of. Just in general, like I, I at that point I was not a huge Talking Heads fan as I am after seeing that doc but stuff like psycho killer and burning down the house like i it never grabbed me to begin with and then i see him in that and stop stop making sense and all of a sudden you like kind of get it a little more than you did and all of a sudden like now i listen to burning down the house uh way more often and i it's it's not like a a middling 80s song is like it had stuck with me before and i feel like it was the same thing with homecoming like it's not that like there's a lot of Beyonce songs I've always liked, but there's other ones that I've just never never really connected with me or I took for granted. Um, uh, just having heard so much, like a crazy in love, like um, shit, I'm forgetting. It's off of four. It's a it's a really good song. It's like one of her biggest songs. Uh, but uh, run the I'm world. Forgetting the name of it. Or love, no, run the world. Love, love on top. Um, the. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Low on top. That was um, actually that where, was actually one that really stood out to me in this doc too. It's like yeah, that performance is incredible. It is, and it actually makes you go like question if you've ever heard the song before, even though like I've heard it many, many times. Yeah. Um, just because it sounded so like new and vibrant, and so it like made me go back and add those songs, some of those songs to like playlists, and like. I just he, I'm hearing them in a new way based on the way they kind of opened up in the in the in the movie. So, yeah, great movie. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, 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 I put it on not really I, I, I didn't even really know like what to expect from it. It was just like, oh, this will be a fun thing mm-hmm. to watch tonight. And it just I, I couldn't believe how amazing it was. Yeah. Um, my 14 is The Irishman. Which mm-hmm. was in my top ten for quite some time, uh, and with all the catch up, has moved up slightly. But uh, it's I I feel weird, kind of feeling a need to defend a Scorsese movie because like <laughs> who does that? But yeah. I feel like this movie hasn't really gotten its due. Um, particularly, uh, it got it got memeified. It got the the meme complaints. You're just like, yeah. that's not that's not, you're not actually engaging with the heart of the film. You're engaging. You're just finding like silly things to complain about. Like, yeah. I was also the thing. The thing that really frustrated me is there was a huge emphasis in the discourse about the number of lines that Anna Paquin got. And I won't, I know we don't do spoilers, so I will not say too much about this, but the way that the character of the daughter is portrayed is more interesting to me than I think any other woman I've ever seen in a Scorsese movie. Um, I think that she is such a fascinating character and everything that they're doing there with what she says and what she doesn't say is so careful and critical. And I was very bummed that that element of the discussion got totally lost. So I have been feeling a need to champion again. (laughs) It is so ridiculous to be championing a Martin Scorsese movie because like he doesn't need that. But it's but I mean, she did have the but people forget is like she had maybe the most important line of the movie where she says, you're not just my dad. You're the Irishman. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. That that is that is that is exactly no, what am she I says. Dera- am I derailing? <laughs> just a just a hair, just a hair. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with. I you mean, here. that basically happens in another movie we're going to be talking about. I'm sure Little Women. So you know what? <laughs> that scene is so good. It's not that far off from our favorite movies of this year. Hold on, That's hold true. on. Yeah, all right, yeah. Three or four movies in my top ten have somebody say the titular line. <laughs> 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 um, I'll just talk about my... Uh, Irishman is in my top ten. I'll just talk about it now. Um, the uh, Yes, I I, uh, I feel like it's very important that Martin Scorsese made this movie as he's in his autumn years. Um, one, because it's specifically about that. It's about getting older and having to live with your legacy and, and see how people have... And see who is still with you, um, and how masculinity has affected um, your 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 interactions with the people in your life, particularly the women. But I think uh, this is a movie that he desperately needed to make to clear the air after Wolf of Wall Street was a massive hit, um, because a whole lot of people watched Wolf of Wall Street, and particularly I think because the aesthetic of that movie, because like we think that 80s aesthetic is cool now but nobody yeah. thinks like there's that scene in goodfellas where he's showing off his apartment where henry hill is showing off his apartment or his new house that he has and uh he's they're walking around and, and the camera's sweeping around and it looks like your grandma's house like yeah mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not like glamorous or sexy at all it's just like uh yeah there's like cheap linoleum floors like this kind of crappy looking furniture i think there's plastic on the couch like it's like it's 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 this like kind of crappy like everyone's wearing like sweaty tank tops and like uh ill-fitting pants like yeah nothing nothing looks like this is my dream yeah, and that's like what what he does really well in Goodfellas and Casino is everything sort of garish and ugly, and then Wolf of Wall Street takes place in the '80s, and like there is something sexy and alluring about that. And it's sort of Scorsese dealing with like his, his Catholic guilt, being like, the, "Yes, like you can revel in this stuff, but it will come home to roost." And Wolf of Wall Street is very, I think, a very self aware film, like a wonderfully yeah. self aware film, and uh, and and everything it does is intentional. And people, uh, but uh, bros are not self aware. Uh, and have no interest in being self-aware. And so they watched that as like a, a fight club. Like they, they willfully misinterpreted the film. Um, and I feel like it's important that he came out and he made The Irishman, which is specifically about how these violent lives make you, lead you down this path where you're just fucking alone. Even the people that still are willing to share a room with you, um, they're, you have to sacrifice the people that you, you, you ostensibly think you're fighting for. Yes. Um. And I, I, that's why it made my top 10. Cause like when it was over, I was, I was devastated. Like I was like, I, 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 it made me want to ensure that I was living my life as a compassionate person and that I'm not being, um, a, a, a brutish asshole. And I stopped murdering people, uh, after I saw the Irishman. Wow. So, that's incredible. It's, I mean, it's, but well, then sorry, he watched John Wick sex. three and started murdering people. Well, John, <laughs> it looks really fun. I got a murder dog, too, because I wanted to step it up a little bit. Um, but, like, it is funny, actually, that John Wick 3 and the Irishman up against each other. That'd be a funny double feature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it has to be the sad one first, though, obviously, right? Because it needs to make John Wick 3 look fucking insane. Uh, yeah, and for me, I, so Irishman's not on my list. I did watch it. It's in my, th- like, it's 30. Like, I liked it. Uh, it didn't hit me the same way Casino and... 
and Goodfellas did. I just, I felt like maybe I watched it at a bad time. Like I felt its length more like Casino is a movie. I always talk about like, it's almost four hours and I feel like it just flies by. I've like, seen I Casino never... maybe two dozen mm-hmm. times in my life. I, uh, yeah. I used to watch and, it re- like twice a year. And I think maybe just the nature of this movie, Casino is more hyperkinetic and more, um, you know, flashy and has a, just a little bit more. Like, not that Irishman doesn't, but it, it's it's working in that like overcoat good uh, Martin Scorsese directorial style. And I think uh, that and just obviously very dynamic story and performances help it this one is a sadder story like it's it's slower it's dealing with everything that you guys talked about and it's even longer and i just felt its length so um you know sometimes that can be uh make make a movie not you know you're kind of missing themes maybe or it's not affecting you as much when you're looking at your watch on a, a couple of occasions um and so i definitely want to maybe rewatch it when I, I could easily see this becoming the five star masterpiece for me, even if I felt like it just it just missed that mark of like my favorite Scorsese's when I watched it the first time. So you're saying yeah. uh, you missed me with that that one, Marty? No, I'm saying he hit me just not as hard as it. <laughs> like he wounded me, he killed you two. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, 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 I will. I will say I, the Irishman is one I did get to see in a theater, and I think that that made a huge difference. Yeah, I watch it on my phone, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, not having... That's my second screen. I think if I was watching it, like, I I have have since watched it at home, but I think I would have... It would have been harder to avoid distractions if I was first watching it at home, and having, like, that focused environment for that length was very critical. Uh, My number 13 is High Flying Bird, which... uh, had not really been on my radar until fairly recently. Um, And I hadn't realized that it was written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who wrote Moonlight. Uh, And he, I think, is one of the best uh, screenwriters working right now. Uh, I think he's primarily a playwright, but he's written, I, I guess, several movies now. And his dialogue is phenomenal it's just it's brings you into this world and is so fast-paced it felt like sorkin but good uh and it was this it's a it's a basketball story and i'm not much of a sports person but i have found over the years that i really enjoy basketball movies um yeah there, they, there may good, be another good. one later, um, <laughs> but it's... You saw Air Bud. Exactly. Finally. Best movie of, of uh, 2019. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, this one really caught me off guard. Uh, I, I had I started seeing more people talking about it, and I decided in my catch-up period to check it out, and there's an energy to it uh, that... I feel like I'm going to need to take several more watches to really like fully understand exactly all of the ins and outs of it because it's about a lockout and I don't have enough expertise to understand exactly all of the elements that are that go into those situations. But yeah. it was such an engrossing story, uh, great performances and the and the dialogue in particular was just phenomenal. Uh, so I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. I have not. It's on my catch-up list that I didn't get to. Uh, I know it's. It also uh, is. I think ninety minutes. So that is the that is the call for me. Yes. 
Yeah, it's very, it's paced very well, too. Uh, my number 12 is Honey Boy. Oh, yeah. I, I think that the idea of watching, like, the Shia LaBeouf, like, personal trauma movie is something that sounds mm. a bit off-putting. And it's, it's really beautiful. It's, uh, the... <sighs> I think the the distance that he has from, you know, I, I be, being outside some of his crazier years and also working with a collaborator like Alma Harrell um, is able to give him an insight into uh, his childhood and his history. And it seems like a very hard story to tell. And it's amazing that he was able to tell it in the way that he did and actually play his father. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's a movie I I wanted to watch again, actually, because uh, I, w- I watched it uh, in the winter. Um, so it's one I've been wanting to watch again to, to get even a deeper handle on. Um, and it's a tough watch. So uh, that may wait a bit still. But it's... Uh, it really exceptionally done. Um, and my 11 is uh, Fast Color, which is, oh, yeah. I think this was like totally off of a lot of people's radar. I had heard about it, I think when it first came out, thought it sounded really great, and then just never got to it. And I'm so glad I finally did. Um, it's a superhero story that is fully original and... I, I, I guess superhero is probably the wrong word, but it's about uh, using using the idea of superpowers as a metaphor for healing and addiction and trauma and family and this idea of a lineage of women that have these abilities that they have to hide from the world. And it's... I. I given given how interested our society is in like the superhero idea it is very surprising to me that this didn't catch on more uh and i hope that more people give it a chance now that it's streaming but uh it really blew me away you named like three movies that were on my catch-up list that i did not get to fast color being and honey Boy being a couple more i will say both of those will still probably get watched this year though because they're also on my hashtag 52 list that I'm working through. Yes. So, uh, good chance I still pick up back on both of those uh, movies. I even think I bought Fast Color on like a you know $2 voodoo sale. Oh, so good. It's waiting for me. Excellent. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Uh, yeah, that was your 11th, right? That was my 11th. It's your All turn. Right. My turn. Uh, Ani Menchies. I almost said Spashy Menchies. What is happening with the Menchies? Her Menchies. I was an asshole when I did it, but when Aaron does. I said almost, though, Peter. Mm. Did I say it? Mm. I'm just acknowledging my humanism. Your humanism. My humanism. You complimented yourself? My my ability to be human. Uh, I'm only human. Okay. Uh, Number 15 is Lego Movie Part 2. Which, uh, Lego Movie Part 1 is the funnier, more clever movie. Uh, I think I like Lego Movie Part 2 a little better. It is, um, uh, 
So Lego Movie Part One is you know once you get past the Lego ness of it, it's about like um a, a, how uh, older people uh, forget what it's like to be a kid, right? And it's great. Like that that part of the Lego Movie, if you guys have both seen it, is like great. Um, Lego Movie Part Two takes a different track. It takes about like the idea of uh, you know and uses siblings, but has like siblings who. Uh, ultimately like love each other but like two things stands in their way like as they age a little more they have um a difficulty of like how to interact together and then also like has some stuff to say about the way that like um especially for i mean this goes for adults too but for children the way that like these quote-unquote like gender norms or forced gender norms like um divides children in a way that is like extremely unhealthy and as a result you have a movie that um one thing i just really love about movies in general is if there's no bad guys uh and like a movie too unlike it doesn't have like a president business there is essentially a bunch of misunderstandings that can be solved by listening to people and uh and and uh just just learning to like appreciate someone else's humanity and what that means and and stuff like that and like those uh if you listen to the show those are the type of movies that tend to uh resonate with me so it has like i actually think it has a lot more emotional heft than the first one um it has less jokey jokes um but uh but it still has some funny moments and the soundtrack fucking still rules uh they they still do a great job in some of their original songs and yeah i like i i again i like both of them but yeah, the second one just really hit me in a very specific place that I feel like it kind of it kind of sucks that it kind of, it got like it it wasn't very like well received and some of that is because of of, of course the studios the Warner Brothers like the first Lego movie is successful let's let's push out as much as we can and Lego Batman was great and everyone went, what why are you making a Lego Ninja Gago or whatever movie and uh, and that kind of I think sunk this one but uh, yeah it's fantastic it's really really good. I'd recommend it. Nice. To all my non-kid having friends that <laughs> sometimes skip those things. Uh, number 14 I is... I haven't seen any of the Lego films. I haven't seen Lego Batman. Uh, I haven't seen the original Lego movie. I haven't seen any of them. So, Peter, of all people who still has drunken nights playing Legos till four in the morning. Yeah. As I understand it, the fact that you haven't seen the first Lego movie is mind-boggling to me. And I would make sure that you do that. And then uh, I would I would watch the second one. Lego Batman is a great joke about superhero and and Batman movies, and like it's really funny. It's really funny, but like it it just it it's it's not doing too much beyond that, and doing it very well. But one thing that's really great about both both of the like core series Lego movies is that they in general I think have a lot of like interesting things to say about like toys and childhood and stuff like that uh the second one even more so than the yeah i'll have to i'll have to check them out aniara is my 14th which i already talked about quite a bit uh number 13 (laughs) another movie i mentioned john wick 3 uh john wick 3 is awesome and the best the best one um i think i mean i like all of them i know but i think the the fact that they made the main antagonist just a very enthusiastic John Wick fan <laughs> also is forced to yes. kill him, but like is like the master stroke of the series because 
I just I don't think I've ever seen that in a movie. Like the like I I we've seen we've all seen the action movies where it's like, look, I respect you, but I gotta kill you. But this guy is like, how do you do that? Like he is like a like a gushing Comic Con fan to John Wick all while like trying to get him to team up and then killing him. And that again seems more at a place for like a parody as opposed to like a legitimately amazing action movie. And it makes it more threatening uh, because he's like a a student of John Wick who like thinks that defeating him can can make him stronger that didn't make my top uh you know top 10 top 15 um but i uh was really appreciative of it it's in whatever my top 20 like it's right outside that window um i wasn't even a huge fan of two for some reason it just yeah two two's the low point for me too it hit me it hit me funny i think that they really poorly expanded out the mythos and they took what i think the first movie is actually very elegant and like almost like spiritually lean kind of movie um and turned it into this sort of bloated world um and then the third one retroactively made me like the world better and now i'm yeah. like interested in their weird comic book crime world whereas like if you asked me at the end of the second one like do you want to do you want to watch another john wick movie i'm like I love Keanu. I love the action choreography. Like you cannot deny the action choreography is the best that America basically produces. It's like this, yeah. the old guard atomic blonde, like the, those are kind of yeah. the only action movies in, that are made in America in the past five, 10 years that I found in any way impressive that weren't DTV. And uh, just to clarify, um, <laughs> and because there's a lot of amazing DTV. I, we know. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are made in Bulgaria. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so who knows? I can't hear you talk about universal soldier. On this particular yes, part. <laughs> but my point is that to see a triple A Hollywood movie, whatever you know, it's more of a double A, I guess. Um, kind of come out and fucking uh throw the kind of skill and precision and like martial arts craftsmanship out there on the screen, and then actually this movie they like owned the mythos. It got me really interested in the in the lore in a way that like. I I think is what elevates it above the rest of the movies because it finally convinced me that yeah. this world is worth exploring more. Where when they said yeah. they said they're making two we're making two and then I was like I don't know sure sure let's see what happens it'll probably be terrible and then I didn't really li- it's not terrible but I didn't really like it now I'm like yeah give me seven of them <laughs> yeah no I, the, the exact same like I. I saw, like, after the first one, I'm like, okay, cool, they get a sequel. Like, this, I thought this was going to be a joke of a movie that people made fun of because it's called John Wick and the trailer has that line that rules in the movie but is, like, I think Keanu Reeves in a nutshell where, like, he's easy to take out of context forgetting that all the moments where he delivers those lines are great in the movie when he has, like, people keep asking me if I'm back. I'm thinking I'm back. And you see that in the trailer, you're like, what the fuck is this? And then you see that part in the movie, you're like, yeah, that guy's back. Um, And uh, yeah, but like the second one, I was like, oh, okay, no, we can be done. There's a third one. Oh, they're going to run this into the ground. And then after the third one, the first thing I looked up was John Wick 4, question mark. Um, (laughs) And Halle Berry also is like, was a great addition and is so good. And I actually think like Lawrence Fishburne was fun to add in the second one, but they give him some really meaningful shit to do in the third one that uh, is fantastic. So number 12 is uh, Dr. Sleep. Uh, a movie that Peter wanted to that was that was uh, his Aniara to me where he wanted to make sure that I watched it before we we uh, recorded rightfully so it is a fucking fantastic movie and really like I mean I never read the book Dr. Sleep I do remember everyone saying it was garbage it's, it's garbage 
the director of Doctor Sleep has like a knack for kind of kind of like uh, Frank Darabont before him, like pulling out the best parts of a Stephen King movie to make it cinematic, which is very difficult because Stephen Week Stephen King movies are dense and sometimes go down weird paths and a lot of directors and writers that do his work want to make sure they're like um, honoring the content which can you know Stephen King has done some great stuff and some not so good stuff sometimes all in the same book and um, you know both uh, Mike uh, shoot what's his last name Peter. Mike Flanagan Mike Flanagan and Frank Darabont are two directors who are very great at figuring out what the right stuff is, what's not working, what they need to add. And yeah, this I watched the director's cut, too, which is three hours, and I was on the edge of my seat for the majority of it. Just a fantastic movie. Earns its like return to uh, the Overlook Hotel at the end. Uh, and it's just like a fantastic movie uh, all the way around, which is just, you know, it, it's both amazing, but also... Three-hour horror movies in general uh, and delayed sequels to to fucking Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Like, everything about – to a book that no one likes by Stephen King. Uh, everything about it uh, seems like it should have been bad, and it is amazing. It's kind of – the way I would pitch it to people – it's it's in my, um, my, my list proper. It's in my top five, so I'll just talk about it now. The way I would pitch it to people is that this feels like a – not just a companion piece, but almost a continuation of the themes of Haunting of Hill House. Um, in that it is about it is a ghost story um, where the humanity of the ghosts and your humanity uh, clash up against one another because uh, that conflict is us contending with our past. Uh, that conflict is is you figuring out uh, what your future is um, and how to avoid mistakes of the past, both hereditary and, uh, you know, just uh, the rhythms of life. Um, so the rhythms that you've created for yourself and Dr. Sleep is, is, is sort of half that like Haunting of Hill House style, like intimately connecting with death and the other half, a fucking wild, uh, near dark, like cult movie. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is one of the scariest villains I've seen in a movie in years. Like she's. She, she, she's just dripping with like delicious evil and uh it's it's a movie that will give you everything that you want out of a horror movie if you want a bunch of gross shit like body horror and like <laughs> shootings and and stabbings and like pe- creepy shit like you're gonna get it but if you also want like to internalize some drama and like really sit and stew and kind of like the, the haunting of hill house manner you're also gonna get that um it's it's a it's an epic story but also a small intimate one and that's what mike flanagan is so fucking good at yeah and this is half spoilery so tune out the last the next 10 to hit the hit the plus 15 second thing right now but uh any movie that uh recast Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson for parts and makes it fucking not just work but sing is goddamn amazing like it's an audacious move audacious move I could not believe that they were doing it and then I couldn't believe how fucking well it worked like spoiler as as a pitch uh, I think actually because like you gotta see it and I think a lot of people slept on this pun intended uh, a lot of people. Yeah, but it seems this. like everyone, everyone that saw it, like King Cast, talks about it with a with a sense of reverence too. And like, yeah. I think that if if you saw it, you ended up really connecting with it. But every, like I said, everything about the pitch sounds like complete garbage. I'm not. I am not surprised this movie 
was not successful. I fully slept on it, and hearing you talk about it makes me really curious to see it now. It's so good. Where that I've only seen the director's cut, but I have heard that's the pref- preferential version. Um, so if you do have a chance, I think they're both on like Amazon Prime or whatever. Sweet. Yeah. Highly recommended. Uh, my number 11, which I don't need to talk about that much because I actually don't want to because, yeah, one cut of the dad. Um, hey. I was like, I was like, yeah, I know. Our first matchies. Matchies. <laughs> matchies. Do we have a theme song uh, for matchies? Do we do? We we always have matchies, so I'm glad that continues <laughs> this year. I, I have a feeling there will be more matchies. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is my it is our matchy matchy. I don't want to reveal too much. I did text Peter and was kind of like, "What the fuck is this?" And I sometimes, you know, it's a movie that was really hard to get. And sometimes I was I was worried that the hype of the difficulty in seeing it had <laughs> had surpassed what I was getting in the movie because I really was like, "What is this?" And when I realized what it was, I was like, like a like a kid giddy of what I was getting, and I could totally understand why it was on all these like best best horror movies of the you know century so far list. So uh, I think it's still on Amazon Prime uh, at least as of September of twenty twenty. It's, it's on Shutter, uh, probably indefinitely. I think they're gonna yeah. try and keep. Oh, Shutter! Sorry, I forget. I use Shutter through Amazon, so yes, it is on Shutter. Uh, highly. Highly recommended. And with that, before we transition, Peter, I think we're probably just going to go at the same time here. Yeah. But what movie did you fucking hate uh, in 2019? Would you want to go? You want to go at once? You want to say at the same time? Yeah. Do we say the subtitle? Now, keep in mind, Peter and I have not talked about this yeah, being man. our pick. Well, we, we just we talked about it, like, spent so ago, much time <laughs> talking about it that I can't imagine that there's something else that Peter wants to talk about here. Uh, do we do the full title or just the – let's just do the subtitle. Just the subs. Just the subs. All right. Ready? Okay. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. One. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> More than God. Cats, really. Oh, Cats is fun. Cats Rise is of Skywalker. Cats is fun. Cat. Like it's fun, bad, but like you sound. I I re- I listened to that episode recently, and you sounded so like uncomfortable and upset about the whole experience. I was ex- really expecting that to be here. You're confusing extreme confusion and being just <laughs> per- like Valid. I I still can't tell you what happened in cats. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what. It didn't happen. I didn't sit there for two and a half hours fucking hating every second of it and being completely miserable, which I did like, look, the thing about Star Wars is that any conversation of how good it is or how bad it is, it's just, it's a conversation that's been going on so long. It's hyper polluted by some of the worst fucking people on the face of the earth. Like I get it. Like, but I really like, I really saw some of the reviews from people I trust coming out of this. And I just thought like, okay, yeah, it's not the last Jedi. Sure. Nothing's going to be Last Jedi. Last Jedi is like a perfect Star Wars movie. You're not you're not going to beat that. And like no, I'm like I'm angry at it as a movie and just being a generally a bad movie. Like it is a poorly directed movie. It it doesn't know how to tell a story. It gives you these like big sad like it it knows that you're supposed to have big moments that resonate with the audience in a climactic ending of a trilogy or a a sep- what is it? Septal? Nintel? Whatever. Nine movies. The ending of nine movies. Nanology? Nanology? Yeah. I don't know um, if that's sure. right, but it sounds right. Sure. Um, but, like, it also has, like, it, it also has literally, I've never seen a movie with nothing to lose and less courage. 
Like it, uh, it keeps <laughs> it's a cowardly it keeps, film. It's the it is one of the most cowardly movies I've ever seen. More than like any other Star Wars movie. Like it, like keeps giving. Like it does it five times where it gives you big moments, only to take them away and go psych. It's like ah, oh, we don't want to deal with letters. Like, it seems like a movie that's made under gunpoint so that everyone's happy and no one was happy with it. People that love The Last Jedi, people, the worst fans that hated The Last Jedi, everyone was like, at best, like, this is fine. Um, yes. And it doesn't help that it does come after, like, not just, I think, the best Star Wars movie of all time, but also the Star Wars movie with the most to say about Star Wars and the most interesting things to say about Star Wars. And... Beyond the fact that it's just a shitty movie, like on every level, it also takes away everything that's good about The Last Jedi. Like, um, spoilers for Rise of Skywalker, if you're not aware, like The Last Jedi's position is that like it democratizes the force. It's as we talked about on our episode on this, that idea that like that like um that's that the Star Wars galaxy is ruled much like ours is by like evil capitalists profiting off of murder and war and looking to like uh, uh some sort of political dynasty or a lineage to solve that is has been uh, nothing but a disaster as like Luke uh kind of talks about it in all of his breakdowns in that movie and uh and Rise of the Skywalker is like ah no actually uh, the only special people are like have a family. There's name. like four Just families, FYI. and they get to have the force, and no one else gets to play with these toys. Yeah, and everyone else, uh, everyone else. Yeah, so like, not like even, But the thing is, if it was like a well constructed dramatic movie, I can say I could have said like at least it was a fun time. But I, I was angry by the opening crawl, and I don't get that angry at movies, and I don't get that angry at Star Wars, like. Like, I'm not one of those people that's having bitter battles about <laughs> that they stop making those novels canon or, like, that Shadows of the Empire is actually one of the best Star Wars movies, even though it never was actually a movie. And I don't really care about the prequels. But there was something about this that just was, like, on every level, just the worst possible version of it. And I was miserable for the entire time. And I told Peter that. I said, don't go see this in theaters. You're just going to sit there and want it to be over in, like, an uncomfortable, anxiety-inducing <laughs> way. Yeah, I, I, I watched it. I watched it. <clears throat> sorry. With some of these controversial movies, I like to watch them at home and removed from, you know, the, 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 um, the discourse. Uh, the problem is that the discourse on Rise of Skywalker never ended. Um, I, I feel bad that we're adding to it, but I feel like <laughs> I <know. laughs> similar to Bill Maher, our Bill Maher episode for Religulous, I, I need um, I need to, a catharsis. I need to get this out of my body. Um, I need an exorcism because the hate that I have in me is like... It, it's it's it, the problem with rise of skywalker is it began as hate and then like the next day i woke up and i was thinking about how my childhood thing that i loved so much had a chance to become relevant stridently relevant and come forth into the future and like re and become something that could be important an important part of my adulthood um and then it it felt like it was taken away from me that it was given, it was given to a bunch of angry, implacable cowards, um, a bunch of angry internet boys. Uh, and, and even they weren't happy because they'll never be happy because, uh, they're inherently, inherently miserable people. The, 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 the catering to the worst people on the internet tendencies of rise of Skywalker is like, it's, it's, 
I mean, that's that's 2019 in a nutshell, right? Like catering yeah. the people that the people that you kind of like, and I know it's much smaller than like you know politics, but like the people that you trusted for something that mattered to you, uh, catering to its worst enemies and worst critics, like. I just don't know what to, I just don't, I just don't, didn't know how to parse that. It like made me sad. Like a Star Wars movie shouldn't make me sad. And I like, it, yeah. it, it, the only good thread that came out of that is like, it allowed me, it gave me a little bit, even as someone who wasn't obsessed with Star Wars, right? I've only seen Force Awakens like twice, I guess. Um, It, it, it gave me a little bit of space to say goodbye to Star Wars, where I was like, uh this property is officially like it, it's 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 compromised like i don't know if they can ever bring it back to me i i uh, except the Mandal- in mandalorian, the mandalorian season is, two mandalorian is great but i'm just watching that as just you know another tv show that i i have this is not this is no longer the sacred thing to me um this is no longer something that that like is is you know gonna be a part of my adulthood like i maybe thought like last jedi i was like this is this is so cool to see star wars relevant again and then it wasn't so. it's hard to lose that yeah yeah, it, I, it's I I I didn't see it because I'm not a huge Star Wars person, but it's it's hard to lose something that's so like personal and yeah. something that has such an impact, especially for people that grew up with the series. Like a lot of I have a lot of close friends that are like deeply, deeply in like the Star Wars universe, and they all just felt like betrayed by this movie. And it's so sad to have yeah. a property that, like, means so much to you do that. Yeah. And I'm not a Marvel guy either. So, like, this was, this felt like my childhood had come back to bite me on the ass. Whereas, yeah. like, for Marvel stuff, I feel, like, happy that, that like, people that grew up reading Spider-Man comics now have, like, lots of good Spider-Man movies. Totally. Uh, I, I feel, I, and, like, Spider-Man, good Spider-Man games. Like, I feel happy for those people, but I, unfortunately, do not get to be that person about Star Wars, and, and that made me a little sad. I guess, you know, I, the only good thing about it is that, like, I am fine. Part of being a Star Wars fan is deciding what to, what you don't care about. Um, and so I'm fine watching movies four through eight with uh, with Rogue One in there, which I, which I love quite a bit. Um and and making that my those those my Star Wars movies and under those circumstances like Last Jedi ends in like an amazing like if that's the last shot of a Star Wars movie that like I ever see again or like when I show my kids until they they find out <laughs> you told me it ends at eight I was trying to protect you being a parent is like that so, um <laughs> like it, it it has the um it has uh, the best closing shot that you could ask for in a Star Wars movie right like the kid with the broom like. That is what Star Wars should have been about. Um, and also, like, uh, the last thing I'll say about it, because I don't want to turn this into the Rise of the Skywalker podcast, even though we definitely could, is that there's also something, like, weirdly unsatisfying. Like, the fact that all those the, those worst people that hated Last Jedi didn't like Rise of Skywalker somehow makes it worse. Like, your weird capitulation and cowardly act didn't win over any fans. Like, I almost wish it was it's like a film for beat. no one. It's a film for no one. Like, what did you do this for? Like, it feels like some weird epic Shakespearean tragedy with at the end you've, you've you know, you've gained nothing. Like, you haven't even gained uh, terrible fans. Everyone is just sick of you by this because you tried to capitulate to everyone, ultimately, and... Uh, it's, it's that, that somehow that makes it worse. Like if it was at least like a Batman 
like a like a Suicide Squad or Batman or I won't say Batman versus Superman because I know that, but like if it was like at least a Suicide Squad where the worst people love that movie uh, for the most part, uh, I'd at least go like, okay, that sucks. It sucks that you think like um, Jared Letter Joker's is good. That that. But at least you, terrible person, have something, and I know to stay away from it because you've marked it as your garbage. But the fact that no one's even claiming the movie somehow makes it worse to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be. I want the movie. Re- I want the movie out of my head. Um, yeah. So let's. let's... Well, hopefully this worked. Yeah, uh, Carrie. What is your? I I know the answer. I think. So what's funny is Aaron, when you said that you were going to joke about this being your number one, I actually have some guilt about this being my most hated movie because I know it's a movie that like meant a lot to a lot of people. Like this is for some people, this is going to be high on their top ten, and so I do feel a little shitty that I'm so against it. But god damn it, I hated <laughs> Jojo Rabbit so much. I, and I think part of what I hate so much about it is, like, there are ways I could have loved it. Like, I I don't want to be against a Taika movie. I really like him. Yeah. I, uh, there were things in the movie I really liked. There's, honestly, the opening credit sequence I thought was phenomenal. And that yeah. was setting me up for a very different movie than what ended up coming. Um, and I thought Scarlett Johansson... And obviously the the shoes were good. Oh, yeah. I thought Scarlett Johansson... Yeah. I thought everything with Scarlett Johansson was, like, pretty top-notch. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, how do I phrase this? I don't have it in me to feel empathy for small Nazi children. I just don't. And there are things that happen in the last third of that movie that any empathy you were building for this kid goes out the window and it, uh, it, it shocked me at how cruel this kid was and that the movie wasn't really commenting on it or recognizing it as such. Um, and I, Honestly, I, my first reaction when I left was trying to talk myself into liking it because mm-hmm. I didn't want, honestly, like, this is weird, but like, I didn't want to seem like, you know, the Jewish girl getting like super offended by this movie. And I, I, I wanted to like, uh, I, I, I wanted to try to give it a chance. And it wasn't until my husband saw it later and he was like, it was even worse than you told me that I feel like I was allowed to really like feel my feelings about it. And, and I, and I do feel bad because a lot of people really do love it. And there are a lot of Jewish people that think it's amazing. It was made by a Jewish director. It just like, it missed in that regard, it missed the mark for me in every way. And I, yeah, I I would actually like to read the book because it sounds like the movie ends at the halfway point of the source material. And I am actually really curious to see where the story goes from there. <coughs> um, so uh, I may st- I may still check that out. And if that's good, you know, I hope that maybe there could be another adaptation down the line. But God damn it. 
I was really getting into the discourse of people about this movie, and it was like bringing out the worst side in me, and I felt so bad about it. <laughs> I, but I, I think you know, I, I walked out of it like being disappointed by it, just because it was a you know Watiti movie, and I was like so one hundred percent on board with this, and also like I, you know, I look, I'm, I'm all for a good Nazi satire or even like evil person satire, right? Yeah. Like, who doesn't like to be or not to be or the great dictator or even like more recently four lions is a really like good example of, of something that, that tackles a very difficult subject as a comedy and does it really well. Um, and so I was, I was hoping for that in here and I definitely like, so it was middling for me. And when I read, why it didn't work for you i think a couple days after you watched it when you had kind of collected your thoughts it was so obvious like that um the parts that weren't working for me i i didn't give as like i didn't give probably as much thought to it because i just walked away from it going yeah that didn't really you know three-star movie yeah yeah um like and so because of that it just it didn't hit the things i wanted and and I was kind of the thing you do at like middling movies. You're just not super engaged. And so yeah, the third act stuff though. Like when when I read what you wrote about, it, I was like, oh yeah, fuck. Like what was that? And uh, the one other thing I wanted to say about this movie is, I, I agree with you that like Nazi satires can be really good, and I don't believe that anything should be off limits for humor. The problem I have. <laughs> is when uh, humor doesn't contextualize, like, the reality of the situation. And I think that there are... I don't know how this is possible. I think there are a lot of people that see, like, the 1940s-era Nazis as, like, a thing of the past that has nothing to do with the type of white supremacy that we see happening today, (laughs) which is factually wildly inaccurate. And... (laughs) There is no contextualizing of why this particular story was so relevant and so important to talk about in 2019 that I I feel like Taika kind of had like a bit of an obligation to make it a little bit more relevant, make it a little bit more contextualized so that the jokes would land in the right places and instead it's just like the same stereotypes over and over again played for laughs because it's like who could believe and say such things when like lots of people are believing and saying those things literally right now and like people are dying because of it so it's and that yeah yeah. and that's why i guess i thought it as mediocre right like because i'm like this isn't that funny like the opening stuff was funny yeah um, but yeah, when they, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. And also to get back to a movie that's like in my top 25 that I did, that I specifically watched just last night, but didn't quite make it is like one thing that a hidden life, which is doing a different thing, but is a movie about world war two Nazis that was made specifically in 2019 at a time that we have, uh, all the current reminders about fascism that we have. That is a movie about 2019 mm-hmm. telling us telling its story from 1943 interesting like it is very much that which is why it was such a difficult watch for me um because it was like i need a break i'm gonna go scroll through twitter and like i might as well have been reading about stuff that was happening in the movie uh, that is a movie that is specifically about um 
the way that so it was easier for people in Germany who didn't have anything at stake, right? Like that are actually not affected in any way. And the the easiest thing for them to do as a result is to just go, okay, I'm going to say Heil Hitler as I walk by people in the streets, but we're not really fighting this war. We have a farm in the mountains. All we have to do is make sure that we like give a winking and a nod and how to, uh, to that. And that makes their life easier, even if, um, uh, it, it is going to support like a level of, of, you know, evil that is unfathomable. They're not affected and they don't have to do much to avoid being affected. Um, and how, like how easy that is for people to go along with like that, uh, because it feels like, well, I'm just doing this to get by. Yeah. Um, and like how, like how resonant that was to like, like, uh, you know, all the all the like white suburb voters who are like, yeah, I mean, he's not my Republican, but what am I going to lose my friend group? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Why sacrifice anything? Yeah. I mean, that movie, though, specifically has lines that are not necessarily historical accuracy, but are like literally saying like this type of evil. What is it going to come become in the future? Mm. Um, but it's like the the log line of that movie is about there's a huge difference between the suffering we accept and the suffering we choose and um, how people will go uh, to horrific lengths to avoid any even the semblance of suffering that uh, that they would have to opt into. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to make a movie about fucking fascism and Nazis yep. and racism in 2019, you have to be aware of what's going on. And if Terrence Malick. Who, who, as far as we know, lives in a cabin and has never talked to anyone in 30 years. <laughs> exactly. Can be aware that I think, <laughs> Taika, you can be a little bit more aware. Yeah. And we give stuff like The Great Dictator a pass because that was made in a time when there was information that, like, we just didn't, uh, Americans didn't have, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. like, it's with the information being what it is right now, there's no excuse. Yeah. No, agreed. Yeah. With that, I think we should pivot. Are you guys ready to talk about the top 10 movies of 2019? Yes. yes. Well, the bash started with myself and Jose Canseco. Uh, we were matching forearms one day in the clubhouse, and uh, we decided instead of giving a high five, we would bash our forearms together. Let's bash! 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 about to drink from a cup cuz we a bunch of buff dudes just flexing acknowledging our feats via human connection let's bash let's monster bash hit a tater out the stadium for monster cash hit a dinger through the fucking vip sweet glass break your fucking arm and happen then sign the cast get well soon love well, let's get into it peter time for the main attraction Thank you. Which is specifically I'm the main attraction. your number. Yes. No, your number ten favorite movie of 2019 That's so nice is specific. And then, yeah, it's all down downhill from here. Yeah, thank you for you- allowing me to willfully mishear what you're saying. I just really appreciate you calling me the main attraction. Um, <laughs> that is in fabric number ten. Oh, so I feel yes. like we're we're kind of a uh, we we stand. 
for a few few directors on here that I think like I want them to become uh names outside of the typical horror circles. I don't know if Peter Strickland's ever gonna ever gonna hit that, but um Can I make a little prediction? What? No. Never, never going to happen. <laughs> not, if he, not if he keeps making movies like, I mean, In Fabric. Uh, in Fabric will show up on my list later, but I, if he, I mean, good for us, bad for probably his bank account. Ben Wheatley is making a Tomb Raider movie, so never say never. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's different. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And Duke, anyway. Duke of Burgundy isn't horror. No. No, I, I mean, I just more mean like guys that. Dead. Here's here's what this yeah, guy loves yeah. based on Duke of Burgundy, and in fabric. This dude loves mannequins. <laughs> huge mannequin fan. He's a huge mannequin <laughs> guy, and for sure, I think that he should remake the movie Mannequin. <laughs> and I think, and I think that is his uh, best shot. And it'll be kind of odd in the way that, like, if you look at Shape of Water as a remake of Creature of the Black Lagoon, it reveals a lot about uh, Guillermo del Toro. I think his remake of the film Mannequin will reveal a lot to, about Peter Strickland. Uh, that we already know. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it'll be it'll be uh, revealing in the way that uh, you'd be you'd be like, oh, does uh, did Martin Scorsese do coke in the eighties? Like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But goddamn it, like Peter, you had to have thought. I'm sorry, I'm already derailing this, but like, we talked about this. Duke of Burgundy, I think, was on both of our lists, pretty high back when we did our 2016 one. And we were like, what was going on with the mannequins that attended the butterfly symposium? It adds to the oddness. And then he made a movie where, like, the, 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 the most sympathetic eye the camera has is when damage happens to mannequins. <laughs> and, like, I can't help but just go, what, what's going on with the mannequins? Yeah, he's a fannequin. <laughs> he's a fannequin. <laughs> he's, he's the guy from uh, Maniac. Well, the Maniac from the film Maniac. <laughs> So uh, we is, stand Peter Strickland, but he's a Stanikin. He's a Stanikin. Um, and Peter Strickland, uh, you know, uh, you can call me. We're, we're, you know, we're fellow fellow Peters. We we can talk it out. Um, I I won't I won't mannequin shame you um, because you made a wonderful film, Peter. Um, he in, did. In Fabric is uh, his his latest movie that is. Uh, conceptually idiotic and yet so wonderful um it's 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 if you boil it down like like a lot of things if you boil it down to a sentence or two it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard um it's essentially a film about how a haunted dress ruins uh two people's lives um it ruins the lives of a, a single woman who's trying to strive out and uh you know meet a new partner after a divorce uh, and the lives of a man who on his stag night is forced to wear a dress <laughs> and um, that dress kind of comes back to haunt him. And Peter Str- L- to be clear, literally, it, it's a haunted dress movie. <laughs> yeah, it literally comes back to haunt him. I, did, I, I, I said <laughs> I know, but normally when dumb. you say like wearing something came back to haunt, like I get it. It sounds metaphorical. I just well, want to also circle to the audience. <laughs> it's very it literal. literally. It's very literal. It's both the dress literal itself. And <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, it's also uh, it's both horrific and hilarious. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's so but funny. it's not a parody in any way. Um, no. It it, it it parodies corporate culture and how absurd they can be. Like there's moments. Oh yeah, that, that that part is yeah very specific in its targets. There are points in this that feel almost like Brazil, where it's like the 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 sort of uh, capitalist 
um, beatdown that's happening to these characters is 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 frequent. They are almost always like acquiescing to capitalism, and capitalism is still choosing to shit all over them. Yeah, and every demand or question is like something a lunatic would say, but everyone takes it at face value. Like that's that's the very Brazil thing, yes. right? Like where they're like, "Well, I thought you care about the company, but did you go to the bathroom for three minutes?" And like, you know, she's like, "Of course." Like she doesn't. She the 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 character in the movie doesn't like isn't like, how dare you ask me about going to the bathroom? She is, like, legitimate in her concern to prove that she, of course, would never have acted like that, which is ultimately, like, that's the ridiculousness we aren't aware of, but when you boil down to so much of the stuff that we all accept in capitalism, it it, it would sound that, uh, like it was designed by a lunatic to people, to people that don't have to experience the, the, the stuff we have to, and I love the way that takes it to a fever pinch. And then the film kind of jumps off of that and, and concocts this, co- this like, witch coven um, who is um, operating within capitalism to pass curses onto people uh, for sort of uh, deeply mysterious reasons. I would have to watch the movie a few more times and also yeah. tie Peter Strickland to a chair uh, and, and uh, electrocute him with a car battery to figure out why. But um, <laughs> also, also, he seems to like he's so specific in his target of capitalism that he seems to have understand that capitalism at its core has a lot of ire for a secondhand market. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is like the way that the department store essentially wants to burn people alive for trying to resell a dress they already sold is amazing. Yeah. And like true. Right? Yes, yes, yes. That is that is that is like true. Like right now, right now as we speak, two giant corporations are trying to put GameStop out of business by not letting people buy discs again. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's and it's uh it's it's a deeply funny film, it's a deeply fun movie. It does work as a straight horror movie as well. It is gorgeous. And the thing that I love most about Peter Strickland movies, um I know we spent a while on it. I'm assuming it's in your top ten, Aaron. Uh, yeah, I won't talk about it when I get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, I just felt bad that we were taking so long. Uh, but my, my final kind of note on it is that Peter Strickland movies feel like they would be these delicate little baubles. That, like, you can take them in your hand and you can appreciate how they glitter. But, you know, don't drop them. They'll shatter. Um, they're actually these, like, robust and brutal objects that happen to also be beautiful. And, like... You can bash them against the wall and they'll hold up like the especially like Duke of Burgundy is a film that's like the core romantic struggle is just as important as the um, oddness, the insane aesthetic uh, kaleidoscopic visions it's going to take you on. Like his his weirdness is as important as his drama. And that's why um, you can't just uh, boil him down to um, his, his his sort of aesthetic aesthetic um dalliances you can't just boil them down and reduce them to just like pretension they're actually like quite quite uh quite purposeful and even when you don't totally understand what's happening it does feel like you're living in peter strickland's brain for a little bit and i love that all right uh carrie carrie did you get a chance to watch this one sorry go on carrie no i haven't yet i i'm marking it for october Good. It's a yeah. it's a really fun if you watch something in October that kind of like is a little too scary or, or uncomfortable for you watch this one because it'll be like a <laughs> it'll shake things up.
That's Wonderful. I'm excited. Yeah. It'll be a power uh, cleanser for sure. To what? To, to anything, really, because nothing else matches. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, uh, not even other Strickland movies, I should say. Like, I, I, um, I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think it's like Barbarian Sound Studio, really. No. Like, Barbarian Sound Studio is mostly devoid of comedy. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, this is, yeah, something else. Anyway, uh, Carrie. Yeah. What's your number 10? My number 10. Uh, Peter actually... Uh, spoke about this film perfectly, so I don't have too much more to add, but my number 10 is Hustlers. Um, It was the most fun I had at the movies last year. It was just... Remember when we went to the movies? That was a nice time. (laughs) Uh, But honestly, like, that was like... That was just... uh, The energy of that film and being in a theater for, like you know, J-Lo pole dancing is, like, incredible. Um, it, and it it's... The, the way that they tell the story, it, it, it just makes you, like, feel for all of these characters and make you want to see horrible things happen to all of these Wall Street yeah. assholes. Yeah. It's just yep. so perfectly done. The performances are outstanding. Uh, it's just a delightful time. I think it's the movie that uh, I will think back to as like the most uh, fun, enjoyable movie of the year. Even though it has some dark, some very dark moments, it's uh, the joy of it is sticks with me a lot. It's 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 uh I I like comparing it to Casino and Goodfellas like it's a movie that goes to dark places like on a fucking like ninety degree angle like it'll just like veer there and then veer right on back um because the person telling the story doesn't think they're a bad person exactly exactly uh you know what it actually I think would make a great double feature uh with is uh, Widows oh mm. yeah I could I could fun. absolutely see that yeah. That'd be a great night. Which bolt, which which it tackles similar themes while being very different movies, which is one of my favorite ways to pour uh, to pair films. Sorry, uh, my number ten is also I, I. It's not the most fun I've had watching a movie in twenty nineteen, but to pair, but it is the most fun I've had in a theater, or the most fun movie I saw in a theater in twenty nineteen, which is Olivia Wilde's Booksmart. Yeah, oh, wow. I just I like we talked about this. Um, not on the podcast, which makes it less interesting, but uh, we talked about eighth grade, uh, I think the three of us at one point through chat about like how it's kind of amazing that in the last couple years, we've got these like great high school comedies with a little more heft than the high school comedies that I think a lot of us grew up with from a perspective of, you know, girls slash uh, bordering on women and uh, while still not like... Um, but not making them necessarily like um, any less um, dis- like it, it doesn't shy away from so many like things that I think a lot of the movies that we grew up with that were quote unquote like girl high school movies did, which is the idea of a level of like raunchiness and partiness and like uh, that, that that it wasn't so specific to like this is what girls like and this is what men are yeah. boys are like and blah 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 and like so like and and they've become some of my most rewatched movies like Lady Bird in eighth grade are movies that I've watched so many times and they're also like movies You've I cannot wait grade to... more than once yeah. I've, I mean, I've there's still some. Only it's, seen it once. 
It's oh, that, it seems it is, hard it, to go back to. I want to see it again, but gosh. I rated it very highly last year, and that movie uh, is is like torture for me as someone who had a very, very awkward So it's not as many times I've seen like Lady Bird. I, I'm not trying. <laughs> like, I get that they're, di- they're doing different things, which I've, I've seen Lady Bird quite a lot. Lady Bird's um, yeah, fun, Lady Bird's amazing. And Booksmart is obviously more fun yes. than, than Eighth Grade as well. Um, but all three of them are movies that, like, not only do I fucking love to death, they are movies that, like, I am excited to show my kids someday. Like, yes. you know, it's the fact that these movies exist and are better, like, it's not like, oh, they're finally making movies as good as, like, the stuff that's, they're way better. They're so much better. Like, I sure, I still like Superbad, but all, like, like Lady Bird and Booksmart are better than Superbad. Like, they're funnier, yes. they're clever, they have more interesting things to say. As someone like, who saw Superbad at the age that Superbad was targeting, yes. I, I still like the movie, but it's just, like, these are fuller movies. And um, and I, I love that Booksmart kind of continues to that. I We obviously probably didn't get one of those in 2020 that I can think of off the top of my head, but we didn't get a lot of those stuff in 2020. 20, so here's to 2021 continuing that legacy. Um, and if you haven't seen Booksmart, I think uh, last time I checked it was on Hulu. I've seen it like three or four times. It is just it, – it's it's a movie that I'm going to rewatch for decades. It is a movie that like I, I got very attached to the characters and maybe the span of 30 seconds. And similar to what we'll talk about with Palm Springs in a, in a few months. Um, uh this is sort of a film proving that you don't have to be regressive to be an amazing comedy. Yeah. Um, hugely. The, the, like the way that yep. it wrangles with social issues makes it far yep. funnier and, and, and touches places uh, deeper within me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love that the movie doesn't really like put people down and is like genuinely like a, a movie about women bonding. Um, and it's a movie that actually made me, when I was watching it, I was like, I hope when I was in high school, going into college like i hope that i would have been someone that would have um supported people like this and would have like encouraged them to go do their thing go be your the the best version of you and like i was like i don't know if i i totally succeeded at that goal when i was that age um but like that's how i took it back is like me reflecting Mm -hmm. as someone who's you know approaching 30 like (laughs) reflecting on it like not from a i want to go back to high school because that's kind of a yeah yeah sad impulse um but from the impulse of like i hope that when i was in high school i i would stand up for people like that in their most vulnerable periods and i hope i i hope i at least had a few moments in my life where you know i did that uh, every time I think about Booksmart, I just think about how fucking amazing Billy Lord is. Yeah. <laughs> every she, single she moment that she has is gold. She can do anything. I want her to get more comedy like that. Oh my god. Well, that's also how I feel about uh, Caitlin Deaver. Oh, oh Peter, yeah! I bet you feel the same way. I bet you feel the same way too. Because I, Carrie, I don't know if you watched Justified. Oh yeah, man. Uh, no, but I watched uh, Unbelievable, which which okay. put her through the ringer, and uh, see, I, I I liked getting to see her have happy things happen to her too. 
If you want to see her with a Kentucky accent, given a twang, and, being, and talk about and being Rusha. very funny at a younger age yeah. too, like she the fact she's like one of the, Raylan Givens. The whole thing is like by played by Timothy Olyphant is like he can out talk anyone, right? Like he's never stumped. He always has the witty one liner. The one person on that show that consistently gets his goat from a verbal standoff is Caitlin Deaver's like character, amazing twelve year old marijuana grower. So um, good and. And uh, so, like, you know, she's been in some things, but I she's never got to flex, I think, the same level of, like, verbal wit and comedy chops that she did in Justified. So it was so great, like, recognizing that Olivia Wilde probably was like, okay, no one's using her the way they – I don't want to say should be, but the yeah. way they could be. And and Beanie Feldstein is amazing in the movie. Um, oh, God, I love her. I, 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 to folks that haven't caught up on it um, – uh, what we do in the shadows, season two, uh, more heavily features Beanie Feldstein, and okay. she is she is so fucking funny, and she can kind of like uh, she can kind of take a per- the persona that you expect from her when she like walks into a scene and then flip it on on its head and then make you laugh so fucking hard. And I I, I American Crime Story, I've been a pretty big fan of so far, despite really not liking a lot of uh, his shows. Um, she's playing fucking Monica Lewinsky in I'm American Crime Story. I'm so excited about that. Oh, fuck. I guess I need to watch that. Yeah. That's going to be I lo- I so good. I liked the first season. I loved the O.J. Simpson and I loved the... Yeah, um, me too. The, the Versace. Uh, Versace season. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm very curious to see what they did there because like that, that could be even if i don't love the season that could be a propulsive like skyrocket moment for her where like she could do whatever she wants after that yeah peter your number nine movie of 2019 my number nine ready or not not a lot to say here but um the way that it mixed i'm glad you put it high because it's it's in, it's my twenty two, but I'm glad we get a chance to talk yeah. about it. Because I love it. It's an it's an elegantly made thrill ride. That's why it's so high. It's 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 a thrill ride that thinks about every single little ticking moment. It actually pairs really well with Knives Out, and then like I think those two are probably the movies I'll end up watching the most in my lifetime of of this list. Um, because Ready or Not takes little comedy moments and then they have dramatic impact later and then it takes dramatic moments and it <laughs> subverts them with comedy. Like Ready or Not is uh, a, a exorbitantly fun movie. It subverts what you're thinking as a comedy fan or as a horror movie fan. The main uh, performance by Samara Weaving is like that's that's a star making turn like she yep. she goes from you know gentle shy kind of woman that like is sort of in a in a vulnerable position to a uh, raging murder beast and uh she can do it all um it's it's a it's a really fucking impressive movie uh the the, the cast of character actors in it is is so great um i'm a i'm a yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of this movie. I think we should do another Man is the Most Dangerous Game month. Yeah, I so want to talk about this in more detail because the part... 90 minutes to yeah. an hour. Or 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah, because my, my favorite part of the movie is something I'm not going to talk about in this episode. But let's just say, like, the ending gives you everything you want twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So, um, yes. But, uh, yeah, we need to do it at some point on We Love to Watch because, God. Let's so do another Man is the Most Dangerous Game month. Let's do the original Most Dangerous Game. Let's do Ready or Not. Let's let's find another two we love. Let's shoehorn in some stuff we don't want to talk about but fits the theme so we can talk about Ready or Not. I'm in, Peter. <laughs> Carrie. 
Uh, my number nine uh, is my my pick for the better of the two Charles Manson movies that came out in 2019, <laughs> which is Mary Heron's Charlie Says. Um, I didn't even know there was a second one. By, Ma- by Mary Heron. What the fuck? How did I miss this? Everyone missed this. So here's the thing. I... I heard about this uh, a, a bit before it came out. It was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I was so excited about it, and then went and I had tickets to go see it. And then when it actually, uh, when the date came, uh, my I, I, my mental health was not in the place where I could go deal with the types of themes and imagery that would be coming up in a Charles Manson movie. So I skipped it. And then the reviews and the discourse about it were very middling and bad. And and then uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, like, a couple months later. And so no yeah. one talked about it anymore. So I finally caught up with it in the last couple of weeks. And I'm so glad I finally did because it's amazing. It is a movie about uh, the three uh, Manson girls who were in prison. And a okay. teacher who comes and uh, works with them and kind of tries to do like a therapeutic uh, educational experience for them to kind of get them to start processing their experiences. And so everything is told through flashbacks. It is, I I would say the difference between these movies is uh, there are a lot of people who understandably so have a hard time feeling any kind of uh, empathy for anyone involved in the Manson family. And if that's the case, watching all of these people get killed in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, might feel really cathartic and great. Um, Charlie says, really gets into the manipulation and the abuse and all of the fucked up stuff that all of these women experienced that it never lets them off the hook. It never excuses what they did, but it does contextualize it in a way that makes it clear that they were also victims. And I think that the way that Mary Heron, I feel like Mary Heron was born to make a Manson movie, to be honest. Like she just has the right sensibility for it. And uh, the way that she balances the uh the the very serious reality of what they did and also the fact that they were very young women who were horrifically abused and horrifically manipulated and uh in this cult environment where they weren't able to make informed choices about things it's it's a very delicate balance that she strikes and i think that uh this is a movie that more people should be watching and talking about uh yeah well i definitely just added it to my watch list um although when i tried to do that i just typed in charles manson into google which is not a good way <laughs> i mean good way to get information about charles manson not a good way to find this movie quickly and uh and and added to your watch list i had no idea and i i don't think once upon a time in hollywood's on any of our lists as a matter of fact we had a discussion off screen about how uh <laughs> most of us do not like it all that much yeah. um so the fact that there's another better <laughs> charles manson movie that that does everything you described directed by yeah, mary heron uh incredibly appealing i wish i was in any like i, I had no idea that this movie existed so uh 
one of the fun parts about doing this episode with people. Yes. Um, so, Aaron, what is your pick? My number nine movie is actually one I'm not going to talk about this much now because I recognize that there's such a thing as stolen thunder and stolen valor, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, and my number nine movie is it's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yay! Uh, and so I, I, I know, as you can tell, it's on Carrie's list. I know that because as we were all chatting about this for the last few months, uh, we all had our like hard sells or whatever that we were like, please just watch this before you make your list. Doesn't have to make your list. You know, I had that with Aniara and In Fabric. I think with. Peter, I think we we all had it with Midsummer with Carrie, mm-hmm. um, and and Carrie's to us was like, you guys need to watch Portrait of Lady on Fire, and I did. It is as amazing as uh, advertised, um, and I'll I'll save more discussion for when I assume it's on Carrie's list, which I know is going to happen. I will say it's the only movie ever that seeing a number written somewhere <sighs> made me burst into tears. Like it was. Like like a sudden wind got knocked out of me, and um, that I number find of saying course that, is uh, four twenty sixty nine, right? <laughs> oh yeah, because I'm like they did. I, I was like, nice, it's so nice. <laughs> oh oh uh, oh oh, those kind of tears. Oh, I think you yeah, meant like yeah. tears of joy. Got it. Uh yeah, it is um, breaking. Like it, like it knocked the wind out of me and like made me. Normally, I get choked up. And then there's, like, that moment that I have sometimes where I'm like, am I going to fight this or am I going to let it happen? And there's some, you know, like, I I don't know why that is that. It's like, just because it's, you know, having a good cry is healthy and good. It's one of the reasons I watch movies to have an empathetic reaction. But also, like, it it it's kind of sometimes just a mess to deal with. Like, do I have tissues? Do I have something to wipe this out? Like, do I have to blah, blah, blah. And so like there, there's a difference. I think sometimes between I got a little choked up. I had a tear and like just fully engaging with, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ball for a second. And it's coming. And mm-hmm. It's, it's a coming. And this happened so goddamn fast. I can't think of another movie where I didn't even have a chance to process that before it was happening. And over something that is so, um, dis- describing it makes it sound so small, but the point of this movie is that was everything yeah. to those two people. And you so, don't see it coming. Um, you don't, don't see that. Do not you see don't see coming. that moment coming no. and then it comes and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you figure and, the movie's just kind of going to gradually, you know, taper off into a, a quiet scene of, I don't know, a woman looking out a Paris window or something as opposed yeah. to, uh, don't worry, we got a gut punch for you. Yeah. And, like, a happy one, too. Like, it was tears of, like, joy. Like, in a movie where a happy ending, by its nature, was not possible because of uh, because of society. Uh, some people don't turn into the Joker because of society. <laughs> some, some people express love in unexpected ways. It was, like, a way to give an ending that was satisfying while recognizing that like it's not happy in the sense of like what you expect from a movie to have a happy end Mm -hmm. so that's all i'll say about it because i do want to leave more discussion for for carrie um peter you're number eight my number eight is uncut gems so the way i view uncut gems is um it's a story of addiction of a degenerate gambler, like the definition of a degenerate gambler. Like he can feel fucking nothing without gambling. If he didn't, if he didn't risk everything on it, 
<laughs> it doesn't even register his joy. Um, he's just he's distracted during like pretty much every moment that he's around his family. Like he, he, the chances of him ever like reconnecting with his family seems slim to none. Um, this is the story of somebody uh, Howard Ratner, who's just this like ball of energy tumbling forward. And if he ever stops and has to reconsider his pathway, like he'll 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 just explode. Like his, 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 he's not capable of it. <clears throat> He'll cease to exist. Um, and that's why, but it's a movie um, that I think is very important. When you make a movie about addiction, you don't uh, make it from the perspective of um, a, uh, <laughs> a finger wagging father. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, you don't make it from the perspective of um, an outsider looking in and be like, oh, this is, isn't this sad? Um, like a, there's, there's not many good movies about addiction. Uh, I talk a lot about how flight is the best first 20 minutes of a movie and then, uh, the worst like hour and 20 minutes following or whatever it is. Um, because it's, uh, you do talk about flight a lot. I, I do not <laughs> like that movie. I do not like that For movie. a movie that I'm not a hundred percent sure exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those movies that like summarizes like. Holy shit, Robert Zemeckis can shoot an action scene. Also, Robert Zemeckis has absolutely no idea what it's like to be like a a sad person just reveling in your own sadness. Um Zemeckis the the mocap guy? <laughs> yeah, uh the Mars Needs Bombs guy. What were you saying? <laughs> um anyways, uh Uncut Gems is is a is a movie that I was very much attached to because it came from the perspective of these are guys trying to get into the psyche of what it means to be a Howard Ratner. Mm-hmm. and the film is shot from his perspective at all times like it sweeps when it, it sweeps up into swelling chorus when he's 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 doing good um and it, it it falls down into like the pits of a dirge when he's he's not doing so good and like it is so much empathy for him so much humanity um but it's also like very keenly aware of the toll that he has to constantly pay for his his fucking awful habit and like it is also the Panic Attack movie of the year. So, uh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. I may never watch it again, but because I like chewed all my fingernails off, chewed my fingers off. Now I'm logging onto my computer with just my nubs. Um, it's a it's an anxiety inducing movie. I've already so it's on my list later. I'm going to talk about it a little bit now because I kind of want to build off what Peter said. I've watched it a couple times, uh, and I I can actually see myself watching it a lot because I do think it, it's anxiety in a propulsive way that like is a specific type of thing. I sometimes like one of the reasons I like horror movies is sometimes it feels good to be out of breath at the end, and Uncut Gems definitely makes you feel out of breath. And like you've been gut punched in the end. Um, I, so I'm so actually... incredibly happy that I don't have whatever he has, like a half a million dollars of debt. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah. thank God. It's just a reasonable student debt number. Thank God. No one's coming after me with a gun. Yeah. I guess I see it as an addiction, but a different kind of addiction. Even though obviously the 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 Sadfi brothers um, like have made literal addiction movies like Heaven Knows What I think it's called it's, it's not Heaven Knows Best Heaven Knows What I think that's right yeah okay which is fantastic very much like literally about like drug addiction um, I see it as an addiction to like 
a level of control over the reality that is such a part of like toxic masculinity as a whole. Like mm-hmm. his whole his whole his whole thing is that through like sheer force of will of being a man and a provider and all this other stuff that he is able to control the very fabric mm-hmm. of, fabric of reality and the part that you as an audience know even though you're seeing it from perspective is that he literally is he's not out of control but he has control over none of it everything keeps going wrong these these schemes big and small money related the way he's trying to manipulate his family the way he's trying to manipulate his his girlfriend all of it is failing at every level all the time like nothing ever works and like through sheer force of will he has convinced himself that he is winning at all these things like that he just needs to say the right thing or place the right bat and he is going to end up on top and that is such a specific thing that's so you read about in the news that probably people you know exhibit like a trait of toxic masculinity of like i can i can lie i can manipulate i am a man i am in control of the situation and the joke and the comedy here is that like uh, you couldn't you you couldn't meet someone with less control of every situation while while convinced he can turn it around with just the next right move as a, and why it's so anxiety inducing as an audience and I imagine it would be even for people that exhibit all those traits is because when you seen from this perspective you just want to be like Howard like there's so many points in the movie where you just want to be like Howard just do this thing and you can let go of all this you don't need to to fix everything like you would be at peace as a human being if you kept trying to feel like you need to be in, you need to be able to control reality to your to your will and at every step he does not take that option even when it's personally beneficial to him and ends up destroying you know himself in the process and like that kind of addiction addiction to like a perception of what your 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 machiavellian impulses to the way that you can control the world specifically as like a a, a rich powerful man is is so specific and real that like it is it is just an amazing watch i i uh going off of what you're saying Aaron um and I I will have more to say about this later because uh this this film will reappear on my list as well. Is this our first uh triple? Uh it might be. That That's we know. Exciting. Of. Yeah. That we know. That we know of. Of. Yeah. And the thing about what you were saying about everything going wrong is that it actually often goes right. And then yeah. he finds a way to <laughs> fuck it up for himself. Uh. Like, he he actually <laughs> does keep winning things. He does yeah. keep... Like, I understood from watching it how uh, he was... Why he had that inflated sense of self. Because thing he he is good at placing bets. Um, he He has a knack for that. And then he keeps finding ways to screw himself out of his own victory because he's chasing the hot. And eventually that's unsustainable. Yeah, you're right. I mean, theoretically, you watch this movie and like he's got to where he is by uh, having an element of control that he's been that he's been victorious at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I, I, I just think this is a movie that's going to keep revealing itself as the years go on, and there's going to be some, like, politician that we're, that's going to get, like, fucking outed as a creep or whatever, and, and, and people are going to be like, oh my god, it's Howard Ratner. Like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's this very specific and yet oddly universal character. Yeah. And, like, I we do not have time to talk about, like, Adam Sandler as a thing. Like, we just yes. don't. So but, good like, in this movie. Adam Sandler's one of those people who's like it, it, just like Nicolas Cage like if you just keep counting him out like he's just gonna keep coming back and impressing you and then also giving you a handful of garbage in between each impressive effort like he's not he's not gonna he's not gonna be consistent for you ever and you you have to just get used to it yeah yeah the difference yeah. the difference I think is that Nicolas Cage tries so hard in every movie even when the material's bad, that's why we think some of the performances are funny. Where Adam Sandler like feels like, and it's basically said as much, that movies are a vacation and a paycheck to me and a time to hang out with my friends. And then sometimes he like reminds you when he's given the material or wants to commit to the material that like, oh, when he tries, he is amazing. Um, well, also Nicolas Cage is uh, insanely in debt and that explains literally all of his decision making for the past <laughs> the past decade mm-hmm. um, hey in, in a sort of howard ratner way he was like i bought a pyramid <laughs> i bought dinosaur skulls uh now i gotta go pay the piper <laughs> but you know you mentioned like the fact that we're going to be referring to stuff as howard ratner like in the future we already are like the yeah. amount of memes that feel like dead on appropriate like i posted one recently about like um christopher nolan convincing warner brothers to release tenet you know <laughs> like um of like this is how i win um, <laughs> um and it, it it feels appropriate because it while it is anxiety inducing and you just want to be like howard stop please like you have so many chances to stop doing the the bad thing the thing that hurts you and everyone else around you and um that that's universal because we see that all the time please stop just do the right thing. This one time, it would help everyone out. Exactly. Uh, Carrie, your number eight. Number eight is uh, The Nightingale. Uh, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, so, cool. so a lot of my catch-up was, like, mainlining all of the really upsetting, like, violent, assaulty movies that I wanted to see. And, like, kept skipping because I knew that I wasn't in the right headspace for it. And then I watched it all within, like, you know, a three-week period uh, yeah. doing catch-up for this, which is probably not very healthy. But it gave me, like, a reason <laughs> to do it. So that was good. Yeah. Um, Pack your trauma into one, like, weekly block. Exactly. You know, makes it makes it a little bit more digestible. Uh, it's like the, it's like the uh, 30 Rock joke where... Um, <laughs> it's like once a year uh, a, uh elizabeth banks goes into the mountains uh and has one mega period <laughs> she breaks she like breaks bricks with a with a rock with a hammer yeah <laughs> it's like and it's just like oh we're so close to beating that thing like you have to have just compound all of your all all the pain into one nice like pain cube exactly uh the nightingale is was interesting because yeah, it, it's a brutal watch, but in a in different ways than I was expecting. And Aaron actually kind of prepped yeah. me for this uh, with uh, sharing a bit about his reactions to watching it. So that actually gave me a really good framework for how to think about it. But 
the scenes at the beginning are incredibly rough. And then the movie takes itself in such a different direction from there. Yeah. And I was really... I didn't realize how much of the story was going to be about the constantly changing power dynamics depending on who is in the room at what time and who you're interacting with and intersectionality and the fact that you can be empathizing hardcore with this protagonist for the first 20 minutes of the movie and then one shift happens and all of a sudden you're seeing her in a completely different, much more complicated light. And this, I, I was really impressed by that balance of uh when when someone has the upper hand in a situation and what are the things that make it shift and what are the things that uh allow people to have power over other people and uh i don't know i don't have a lot of like cultural context for like tasmania and the history there um so i honestly want to do a lot more reading now that i've seen the movie um, I also want to see the Babadook finally because I haven't seen it, and this oh really—it's—I it. it, it. think it's going to be on my. Gotta list. see the Duke. I think it's going to be on my list for October this year. Um, it's actually really fun. Like it, it doesn't seem like it would be, but it's—it's it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it, and I'm more excited about it, uh, especially now because Jennifer Kent's direction just absolutely blew me away. There's no reason why she hasn't made fucking 10 movies since the babadook like yeah. other than you know t- time and space but like she the nightingale should have been under her her wing and been out and distributed and then she should have been able to go off and do like three more movies in the meantime but the nightingale is a it's a it's a challenging movie and i think they were having trouble finding a home for it and yeah you know, it's all yeah i will say the same thing i said to carrie so it's number 22 on my list i it really really just a fantastic movie, as Carrie said. I, I, my, my pitch to Carrie was that like it is, it's kind of being taught. The thing that I feel like is doing a disservice while not being inaccurate is, it's they, it's getting described as a rape revenge movie that's a brutal watch, and that is true. The problem is, is that our framework for what that means, because we have a lot of rape revenge movies, both. Uh, in many cases, unfortunately, to pull from that um, in our heads, that means something that the Nightingale is not doing. Yeah. Uh, and um, and I think that's an important call out because I think even uh, myself, like there's a reason I've never seen Irreversible, right? Like I, I'm not interested in seeing that movie. And maybe one of these days someone will convince me with the right combination of words that actually it's worth watching. But um, and I'm not saying like it's not good or arty or something like that. But like the way I what I'm aware of about it was enough to make me go, you know what? Life's too short sometimes. And I'm not really interested in seeing that. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, I, I, I had a little less of a reaction to that. But the way that Nightingale is being described, I feel like people can have that same reaction uh, that I have always had to irreversible is like, do, do I need that? Do I need stuff that people, critics I trust and respect are saying, this is the most brutal movie I've ever seen about a uh, rape revenge movie specifically. And 
Uh, I'm glad I saw it because it is, you know, it's in my top 25 of the year, but also because it really gave me um, a different perspective of what society means when that's said and what it means in the case of a movie directed by a woman about a woman in a very interesting time who goes through that in that like disturbingness and trauma is not doesn't always need to be coupled with exploitation. Um, which is, I think, what most of the like, the reason why um, Peter and I have been always been very, very vocal on the show about, for the most part, not liking those types of movies is because that, like, I think Peter, you and I talked about it recently, and I don't know in relation to when this episode comes out, but like how, like, do, like how fucking um, done we are with the type of movie that's like, oh my god, what a horrible rape, but you kind of got, you got a little horny, didn't you, during that? Like, yeah. And like the the movies that frame it that way, and this movie is disturbing. But not that way. And that's hard to describe to people, I think, without just saying, here's what happens in this in these scenes. But I do think that it's been um, uh, the, the way people talk about it has caused people to not see the movie that should absolutely see the movie. Uh, 100% agreed. And another thing that's been interesting about the conversation in that way is that there's... It is exclusively about the two scenes that happen yes. very early on yes. in the movie. There is a third scene about halfway through yeah. that I hadn't heard anyone talk about before I saw it. I was not anticipating it would be there. And it is, uh, in many ways, far more upsetting given like the context yep. of what's going on. And it's fascinating to me that that got... Total. I mean, maybe it's because like the walkouts when people got offended by the movie and like walked out, like they just didn't get to that scene. I don't know. Um, but even even so, even in the most upsetting moments of this movie, it's clear that Jennifer Kent is really thinking sensitively about the material. It's clear yeah. that she doesn't want to exploit anybody. She doesn't want to titillate anybody, like you're saying. She just wants to show a harsh reality but do it with a reason it doesn't feel like it's there yeah. just to show awful things it feels like yep. she is trying to make very specific statements about these uh you know atrocities that occurred in the context of a genocide and what what it means for all of the people involved in their dynamics with one another well, and also, I would say the fact that the third scene does not get talked about all that often is feels like it also underlines the themes of the movie. I agree. Which is is <laughs> rare that uh, it hits that that metatextually. Yeah, <laughs> that, seriously. That, like, hell- Anyways, uh, I can go quick because my number eight is in fabric, which I already talked about. Peter, what is your number seven? My number seven is, you know, I don't want to tell you. I just want to tell you guys that you'll always be my little women. (laughs) (laughs) My little women. My little women. My My little little women. women. Uh, It's number seven on my list. I clearly like the movie. Okay. Not making fun of the movie. I love the movie. So good. Uh, This is, this is, uh, this is a, this is a a movie that uh, woke me up. Um, So I did not, I, I don't generally like a lot of period pieces. And I think a lot of adaptations of, like, lovely old literary classics uh, tend to be stiff and lose, um, especially, the um, female author's voices. Um, 
And uh, this is a movie that did none of that. Um, Greta Gerwig is a queen. She's amazing. Um, the movie is essentially, to me, the reason the movie works for me is it's vibrant and wild and exciting. And it feels like Joe is is directing the movie. It feels like it's it's from her perspective, not that she's like riding along in the perspective of someone else. Um, and uh, that, that, that like she could rewrite the movie on a dime and like, that 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 sort of freedom and liberation um is what makes the movie so fun and feel so modern while also not betraying the fact that these women are suffering under the repressions of uh, a specific era um and 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 um i think the last thing i kind of want to say on it cuz it's just it's a it's a movie that like <laughs> you'll see if you want to see it if you don't want to give yourself over to it, you're not going to give yourself over to it, right? Like, um, it's, a, it's a period piece based on a, a very famous sort of um, young adult book, uh, primarily targeting women. If you see it, give yourself over to it. The rewards are great. It's a funny movie. I feel like I learned more about the era because a bunch of very smart performers came. They studied the characters. They studied the era. And then they came back to to us and they said, here's what I found out living in this sort of time frame. Absolutely. So I, I'm going to talk more about Little Women later. I do want to say, though, Peter, I think uh, you are sleeping on Little Women all the way around in that not sleeping. <laughs> that's such a weird sentence. I think I said it in a way that does not sound odd. Sleep, well, um, I mean, also sleeping. Sleep, on you're sleeping and all on, the way around. Like, yeah, are they? Yeah. Am I? Am I on like one mattress? You've crushed the women. They were yeah, I've cru- and I've crushed the women. You need to treat them with care. Sleep next to them. I, 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 um, I sleep on a on a bed of little women. No, and you know what? I found it out at a younger age because I saw the 1994 adapt- adaptation in um, theaters when I was 11. And I didn't really want to go see it in that it was called Little Women and I was 11-year-old boy. <laughs> and But I also went along with it because whatever else I was going to do that wasn't going to the theater to see a movie was going to be less appealing. Uh, especially for like a 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock show on whatever. Like it was going to be my bedtime. I was going to have to brush my teeth. I get to go eat popcorn. I get to go see a movie. Uh, and I fucking loved it. I was so into it. It is a like obviously Greta Gerwig, and I'll talk about that more later. Brings a, uh, a modernity and a um, light touch, as well as just a lot of fun to the 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 material. And as um, that is like I think like the better is the probably the best adaptation. I haven't seen all the adaptations of it, but uh, but I eventually read the book too, and the book is also great. Like that kind of thing of like old novels and uh, period pieces being stodgy i we talked about in three musketeers i think that's incredibly true it is not true of little women yeah little women rules all the way around and if you've never read the book or seen the 1994 movie highly recommended even if i agree that this adaptation is the best version i'm more speaking about period pieces in general and particularly period uh, adaptations of the adaptations of the works of famous women of, of that era um that i think they they haven't necessarily gotten uh the best cinematic sort of representation they have oh captured, yeah they haven't captured the voice of, of the authors that way um and this i think that's true but i would definitely see the 1994 fun. adaptation yeah yeah i mean i love winona 
Yeah. She's great. I think I think between uh Little Women in 2019 and Emma in 20 in 2020 there's going to be a shift that starts to happen where yeah. uh these stories like really properly finally get their due. Yeah. I I I just I just don't I'm sick of period pieces being entirely stiff. Yeah. I feel like uh I feel like a, a lot of period pieces act like these people um our portraits are our pictures in a in a portrait they're not actually living people that yeah. needed to <laughs> fucking survive uh in, in uh in these times and uh this movie is about people surviving uh carrie number seven number seven is honeyland uh honeyland oh yeah yeah uh honeyland is the macedonian bee documentary that when I heard that there was a Macedonian bee documentary, I was like, oh, cool. There's like like a nice, relaxing nature doc. And uh, wow, that's not what this movie is at all. Um, it basically, it is the story of like one of, I, I don't know if she's one of the last or the actual last uh, beekeepers in Macedonia who is like using traditional ancient methods of beekeeping. And the filmmakers uh, spent time with her over the course of three years. And while I think they just set out to tell her story and while they were filming her, um, she, she lives alone uh, in this uh, area of land where she has her bees and uh, she takes care of her mother and a family um, a much more modern family uh, moves into the land right next to hers while the filmmakers were there. And it becomes this story of these neighboring cultures and neighboring ways of living life that, you know, are not compatible with one another and masculinity and femininity and all of these uh, conflicting uh, natures and ideas that are now forced into conflict with one another. And it's a fascinating, dramatic story uh, that I highly recommend. It is a much different movie than I think most people have been led to believe it is. Yeah, that's interesting because I did have it as like a also ran on my catch up list. Like if I somehow get to these 50 movies, like people have been talking about Honeyland. But yeah. It did just seem like a beekeeping movie, which yeah. is definitely like something that I, you know, what are like those old chestnuts? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like it just it seemed like a uh, like the process of what it's like to like raise bees. Yeah, I I put it I I watched it I think back in January and I put it on on like a weekend afternoon, thinking like you know I could I could deal with like some relaxing na- relaxing nature stuff right now, and then like. Yeah. The turn comes about a half an hour in, and I'm like, "Oh, damn! I have to like really like get with it now." Holy shit! Uh, yeah, I highly, re- I really <laughs> recommend it. Awesome. Well, uh, another one added to the list. My number seven is maybe going to be the most controversial pick on this on this list because I think you can make an argument that I would disagree with that it's not a movie. <sighs> Do you hear that sigh? Peter, did you sigh? No. That must have been Carrie. I didn't sigh. Carrie, who am I imagining sighs because I feel <laughs> scared to be judged? Did I hear my own breath oh, in yeah. the microphone because I was too close? Maybe you sighed as you were saying it. 
<sighs> possibly. Uh, no, it is. So uh, we're going to talk. We, we, we clearly just recorded the episode. We're going to talk about the movie Palm Springs. And we spend at length talking about how much Peter and I both not just love Lowly Island comedy, but appreciate them and what they're doing thematically. And their themes as a group have been very consistently two things. The complete, utter emptiness of fame and the complete and utter emptiness at the core of masculinity or toxic masculinity or like culture's idea of masculinity. And I can't think of a... (laughs) retelling or a nonfiction story that tackles both of those issues better than um, the unauthorized uh, story of the Bash Brothers. Oh, nice. Which is is technically a 30-minute movie on Netflix. I'm not going to fight you on that one. We actually, we sleep on shorts on the best of the year, um, so that's fine. Yeah, that's legit. It it is, but like, it's, it's, it is fucking hilarious. The songs are catchy, but it also like, in a, in a, in a way that, like, as much as I love Popstar and some of the other stuff they've done, or um, because they're doing essentially an almost accurate retelling of, of two actual people <laughs> um, who lived this life of, like, fame and the idea of what it means to be a man and at the end ended up, like, broken, stripped, uh, separated from their loved ones and stuff like that. And the fact that it retells this comedically dramatically and with of all like all in song in in like 27 minutes is fucking amazing i've watched it so many times i've listened to the soundtrack so many times and i'm always struck by how what could be an easy joke is really um is really just played for like like the last song uh on the soundtrack, they change it up a little in the film thing is like the very sad, like realizing that they have betrayed each other as friends. They've betrayed each other as um, everything else to get uh, an idea of fleeting fame and being the toughest people while that has left them empty, broke, alone, shamed, ridiculed and stuff like that. So it's like I think you can make the case that like, oh, it's funny that Lonely Island did – um uh, a mini musical about Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. And that is true. But what's really interesting is that like, it almost continues to tell a piece of what they are very interested in addressing in a very comedic and satirical way. Nice. And that is why it is my number seven favorite movie. Yeah. Of I unsigh. Thank you. <laughs> you did the sigh. It was me the whole time. Um, have you guys? Have you guys seen no, it? No, yeah. but it sounds nice. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Uh, I also didn't realize it was thirty minutes. I, I looked at the cover and I was like, "Is this going to be a lot for me?" It's under thirty minutes, Peter. Um, yes, my number six is The Irishman. I said what I said. Great, Carrie. Uh- my it's you know the way he said that it sounds like it's a line from the irishman and it might be but it's too unspecific to 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 be able to tell like it's not memorable yeah Yeah. maybe if i put more of a threat in there like don't make me say this twice yeah maybe uh refuse to apologize to me for the next thing you do (laughs) uh carrie what is your number six my number six is high life 
another Hello. another one of the uh, rapey movies that I was saving for this yeah. block of time. Is this all in the same week? Are you doing like back-to-back Nightingale and Highlight? I watched, I, not the same night, but I watched both of those movies closer together than I probably should have. Um, Your poor brain. But they both knocked my socks off. They were both amazing. Uh, yeah. High yeah. Life um, was... Uh, not the movie I was expecting at all. Like when it's when it starts out, I really was feeling like if it is just the the opening of the movie, I want to say for like the first twenty to thirty minutes is like maybe it's not that long, but it's a long time of Robert Pattinson raising this baby in space, and you have like mm-hmm. no idea what is happening where he, like, what his space mission is. Like, there's no context for anything. He's just, like, alone raising this baby. And it is, like, the most moving cinema I think I've seen in a long time. And then you build into the story and you find out the context. And you find out who all these people are. And it's, uh, it's, it's creepy and, uh... It, the 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 violence of it i feel like was weirdly uh tapered by how uh across the board it was like this is th- these yeah. are people who are all in this like reproductive experiment that is horrible and degrading and non-consensual but because everyone is on the same page with it and everyone is in the same boat it kind of levels the playing field no one is supposed to be in this situation um and that makes for a very interesting story and a very way a very interesting way of handling that type of material um because reproductive horror is probably one of my biggest trigger points uh in in movies uh it's not something i do well with at all and this movie handles it in a way that really captivated me and that felt uh, very sensitive and very aware of the horror, but not mm-hmm. in an not in an over the top way. It didn't feel it, it, it just the, the, the tone of it was so uh, mellow, weirdly enough. Um, yeah. And I really liked that about it. And I, I, I really well established by the beginning. Yeah. Right? It's so mellow at the beginning that like where it ends up going is such a surprise. And then the end, I actually felt was really <laughs> beautiful and hopeful. Yeah. I yeah. feel like yeah. it is. I'm not used to that even from Claire Denis movies. <laughs> it, it ends with this like love and hope and, you know, you have, you don't know where it's going to go, but it feels like. Whatever happens, it's gonna be okay. And yeah, I I was really impressed by this film. <laughs> I think maybe that's why. Like, uh, yeah, it's in the thirties on my list. It, I really do like it quite a bit. But like, I think that's maybe why right now specifically, I watched I watched them both in a couple weeks of each other. But uh, Aniara was a little bit more spoke to me. Oh yeah, than High Life because uh, High Life like ends with yeah like. This has been brutal and terrifying and crimes have been committed. Uh, but, you know, there's something beautiful here and something hopeful. 
and Aniar is kind of almost the exact like the, like it has so many of the same things. It's so weird that they were made they were released in the same year, and then ends with yeah, uh, no hope. But does it even fucking matter? Everyone's gonna die. <laughs> I, yeah, I need that. I need that hope right now. I need that so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Aniara, I was like, eh, if everything goes poorly, I mean, we did kind of get ourselves in this mess. So, um, but um, yeah, that's depressing. Uh, Aaron, yeah. what's your number five? Well, look, I said what six, I said six, is the famous six. saying from The Irishman goes, um, and uh, it's Uncut Gems, which I feel like I said my piece on. Um, just like the Irishman. Yes. Howard Ratner would never say I said what I said. Howard Ratner would be like, didn't you fucking hear me when I said the thing here? Let me say it seven more times. <laughs> it's my, yeah, my number six movie and I like it so much I'm coming. Yeah. You know, it's a famous saying from whatever. <laughs> Is that what he says? Yeah, he does. He does refer to uh, coming. Holy shit, I'm going to come. When he oh, looks, at, when he looks at the opal, holy shit, I'm going to come. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I got it wrong. That's what I should have said. Holy <laughs> shit, my number six movie. Howard. All right. Howard. <laughs> what a legend. Peter, what is your number five? My number five is Dr. Sleep. Um, we already talked about it previously. I don't have a whole lot else to say other than... Um, <laughs> Do you think... Can I ask you a if question you like, if you don't have much to say? Yeah, what's up? Do you think Dr. Sleep would have been better if they had done a remix... Uh, theme song to the tune of They Might Be Giants, Dr. Worm. I was thinking more uh, Gwen Stefani doing a cover where she says, Doc Sleep, I know just what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Mine uses all the syllables. Uh, she's she's overly familiar, I would say, with the Doctor of Sleep. Dog I would sleep. say Doctor Sleep is an incredibly bad title um, and that they were stuck with it because of the King Estate. Um, you know what they should have called it? The Shining 2. Oh my god. The Shining <laughs> 2, the, le- <laughs> the legend of Danny's gold. Um. <laughs> the, le- the legend of Danny's shine. Uh, some, yeah, Doctor Sleep is the worst fucking title. It's it's great as a in the movie, the scene where it happens is great. Yeah. It should have just been a cool little magical realism moment in the movie, not the title of the book. Yeah, it's like if you name Field of Dreams like Ghost Dad Cat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, like technically, like, it happens. I mean, Doctor Sleep like, does you, sound like it's a it's a, a biopic for Doctor Gavorkian, right? Uh, what he does have a biopic that's pretty goddamn close to that. It's like you don't know Jack. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, oh, sorry, his documentary or something. Oh. I think it's like called like Doctor Death. Oh well. Which, which is there's a better another, name there's another for person that The Shining, owns by the, the way. Title more than that. I don't no. want to get into that. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of something. I think else. that's yeah, the, Joseph Mangala was also known as Doctor. Sorry, Death, I know Errol, he owns the title. Isn't Errol Morris for me? Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. thinking of. I'm co- I'm confusing a few different things. Anyway. Oh yeah. Oh sorry. Uh yes. Uh, still doing my entry. Uh, Doctor Sleep is. I've said mo- mostly what I'm going to say on it. Uh, just real briefly, I would say if you're still not sold on it, uh, from what I said previously. Uh, you know, the comparisons to Haunting of Hill House. Um, I would say that uh, you should probably check it out because it is, um, Ewan McGregor still has got it. He's still a hunky, handsome guy. Yeah. Uh, that's not really what, what, I, what I'm here to say. Nice. Uh, I'm going to say it's, it, it's a gorgeous horror experiment. Like, it, it, if you think you're sick of horror movies, like, 
this is going to, uh, I think, open your eyes a little bit because it's going to give you, like I was saying earlier, it's going to give you a bit of everything, but also some new things that you didn't know you could get in sort of like an epic. Like this is an epic horror movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Doctor Sleep number five. Uh, my number five, I'm not going to spend really any time talking about because I have a feeling it is going to be very high on other people's lists. Uh, my number five is a film you might have heard of called Parasite. Yeah, yeah, it's going to come up. It's honestly, it's honestly in the position that it is, not because I don't think it's like or super excellent, but just because... Yeah, Carrie, why do you hate Parasite? It's... I, I mean, I, I, I feel weird placing it, like, this, uh, <laughs> in, like, middle middle of the list, but, like, yeah. I just don't know what more to say about it. I feel like yeah. it... When it... When the, when the movie that you're hoping that wins Best Picture actually does win Best Picture, like, at that point, you're like, yeah. where do we go from here? <laughs> We did it. We won. Yeah. Now we won what? The war. Like what? What else? Do I, I want to be very clear as a fun reminder. This is September of 2020. That was in February. Oh my god! <sighs> Our lives were so different then. I know. We were Feels so like young. A billion Looking years at pictures ago. of me back then. Yeah, but yeah, let's talk about that one more later. <laughs> okay. Uh, my number five is. I'm glad I get to snake Peter on one of these, and that is the lighthouse. Um, the uh, gentlemanly lighthouse uh, attendant movie about two bros who um, have no chill. They have no chill. Um, and it's really about like, what do you masturbate to? Is it uh, a small mermaid statue or the light? Hmm. And, and the answer um, can be both, but it gets can be dangerous. both. And and if two people, here's the problem: when people don't communicate, what inanimate object or like concept of photons and light uh, turns you on and you're on an island together things break down and people fight yeah and that's when people stop being friendly and start being uh real murderly to each other but yeah the lighthouse is uh robert eggers follow-up to the witch uh just a fun like i saw this in theaters last uh in october of 2019 uh i think it was like the last new movie i ended up watching for spooktober and it felt just so perfect like I, I remember just being so intrigued what this was going in. The Witch was very high on Peter and Mine's list uh, for whatever year that was released. I think, I want to say 2016. Like, going in, it was like, is this going to be a Lovecraft adaptation? Like, what is this? Like, the the the, the trailers were so compelling. And, uh, and yeah, it, uh, it lived up to the expectations. I've seen it a couple times since then. I may try to make it one of my Spooktober watches if I, if I feel like my runway of new movies is good this year. It's hard to talk about also because I know we have someone on the show that hasn't seen it. Um, um, I, I haven't seen it since COVID. That may hit differently, Peter. Uh, especially the, um, alcoholism that's rampant in it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially when COVID started, it was really hard to be like, why wouldn't I have another drink? I'm not going anywhere today or tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and being stuck uh, in a place together with, uh, with a small, small little crew. Um, yeah. Thank- thankfully my kids and my wife are easier to get along with than Willem Dafoe. Yeah. But, thankfully um, my, my wife will let me masturbate in the lighthouse. Um, so we have no problems there. No problems. Yeah. You bought a whole house with a lighthouse. 
Yeah, I mean, well, the house is the lighthouse. I feel like the light and anything attached to it becomes, you know, the lighthouse. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You said a house with a lighthouse. I'm just clarifying. The whole house is a lighthouse. Yeah, the other reason I don't want to talk about it too much <laughs> is because we're definitely doing this on the show at some point. So, nice. yes. uh, Peter, what is your number four? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna scoop you back. The scooper has been scooped. Uh, Midsummer, um, Midsummer. Oh, that's number ninety for me. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker is ninety one. Um, Midsummer is a movie that I think uh, we have to do the show me. with Carrie based on conversations we've had. But uh, Midsummer is a uh, movie about sort of an anthropological view of a small community, and it is a movie that was accused of not being a horror movie. And when I say to those people is, uh, shut up. Um, and, uh, I'm going to give you a noogie. Um, Midsummer is the <laughs> four out of five of my top five or horror movies or horror, uh, five out of five or horror adjacent, I would say. Um, and Midsummer is essentially the story of this anthropological view of a community that, um, by the end of it, you're going to feel conflicted about what was right what was wrong, what's best for this person, what's healthy. And you're not going to get a lot out of it if you come into it just being like, ooh, spooky cult. If you come into it from the perspective of what is going to make these people heal, uh, are these people being respectful of this culture that they're invading, um, you are going to get a lot more out of it than you would just uh, walking into it and being like, oh there's gonna be a scary cult and they're gonna have human sacrifices <laughs> like if you go in from that perspective yeah you're gonna get what you you want but you're gonna be robbing yourself probably of of um some deeper more conflicting emotions and that's why it's ranked so high above some excellent um other movies particularly some excellent other horror movies so that's why i would put midsummer uh in my top five carrie your number four uh my number four is little women and hey guess what matches my number four. <laughs> oh, that's exciting it's our second matches right yeah yeah second matches uh i know there will be a third matches <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're getting there uh my god it's so i, I it, this is this is the version of little women that like allows the beautiful revisionism to <laughs> save the story from itself. Yep. And it's so juicy and wonderful. And God, I love it so much. I love that it makes the case, which I think has an element of historical, at least like potential to be accurate, that like it's kind of saving the required. It's both about like, it's both an adaptation of little women, but also about, um, the writing of Little Women at a time when women were even more than now put into a like requirements box yep. that they either met or didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think also, and I I have gotten dunked on in the dissolve for talking about this. Uh, but I think who, that who dunked you? Uh, tell me their name. I'll tell you. I will tell you off mic. Um, <laughs> Give me a list. I'll go after drama. Them. Yeah. Um, no, but, like, <laughs> the, there is, uh, somewhat, uh, you know, academic evidence of Louisa May Alcott, uh, being not heterosexual, and yes. this is the first version of Little Women that really seems, that I've seen at least, that seems to touch upon that, 
never di- never yes. directly but it seems so clear that the relationship that joe and Lori have in this version is like extremely queer and extremely yeah. like when 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 winona ryder rejects christian bale it feels to me like you know well she does kind of love him a little bit but like it's she knows it's not going to work and it's not the right thing. Or I, I feel like it's an element of like, um, you know, her character it has an element of um, stubbornness. Uh huh. Yeah. And so it feels like a um, like Winona Ryder knows that she's in love and wants to marry him and is attract all, all the stuff. But like it almost seems like a folly of stubbornness, which um, is definitely like a, you know, unfortunate uh, depiction but it's like the um oh this this stubborn woman by trying to advocate for agency is rejecting the thing that she should want and even yeah. the the 1994 version kind of lays that on in a way that is um uh, uh d- diminishing to joe's character yeah but then when in this version when sersha is rejecting timmy it feels more like she really can't she can't she keeps saying like i can't i can't and it's like oh yes. there's something else going on here and yes so i as as you know as a queer girl who grew up i mean i'm from massachusetts like i grew up with little women so deeply went to the alcott house a lot growing up and i don't think i ever like knew at the time that there was like queer subtext to it but i think like you know you sort of know without knowing and finally being able to see that the way that greta garwig like really thoughtfully intentionally put it in and she has said in inter even though it's never explicitly stated she has said in interviews that like a hundred percent that was her intention um yeah. it's so it's such a relief to finally see that as part of the story and i uh I will keep going back to this version specifically for that element of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I already showed it to my six-year-old, who I had explained a lot to, but she was mildly interested in it. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I mean, that's what it's, – it's. sometimes it's fun just to make a, like, hey, it's PG. I don't know what you're going to get out of this, but, like, maybe a couple years from now you'll return to it and go, can I watch that again? But, like – she was we watched it over like two Sundays because it didn't hold her interest for the full like two hours and ten minutes that it is. Cause the the thing about the nineteen ninety four version is it feels like the um the climax is uh after Joe rejects Lori and then um she sees Lori with her sister, yep. right? Like like and then after that it just feels like um you're deal she's dealing with the pain of that because at least in that version, it feels like, I'm like, oh, well, now I'm mature enough to know that what a woman needs is just a good man. And I should have settled down when I had the chance and then settles for this other guy who's nice. And I love the way this movie takes that, like, literally and literally goes and says, yeah, I'm this is an ending that you've made me tack on. Yeah. But it, it is meaningless in the grand scheme of things. But sure, you'll get your, I find, an, uh, you know, this Joe, the character, finds another guy and settles down. Yeah, yeah. I uh, One of my favorite things about it, and I, I discussed it briefly earlier, that it feels like Joe is directing the movie. Um, yeah. The thing that I love about it is... <laughs> 
Um, Greta Gerwig gets compared with sort of her inspirer and collaborator, Noah Baumbach. And Noah Baumbach, to me, even though I love like Francis Ha and some of his later movies, like Mistress America, Noah Baumbach feels very precious and very delicate. And Greta Gerwig does not. Greta Gerwig can can do delicate moments. She can she can take a moment that's like very fraught and kind of like um, very, very like uh, fragile and like capture that. But she's not a gentle filmmaker. She's a, a, a grab, grab you by the shoulders kind of filmmaker. And yeah. mm-hmm. she feels like the perfect director to direct Joe's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's ultimately her story. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I love it for that reason. Greta Gerwig uh, is, is not just saying like, oh, I'm going to uh, give you a sort of sober minded. Um, um, I'm not going to give you a polite version of the adaptation. No. I'm going to give you um, what what Joe would want. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I I will say I'm one of those people that it's not like I was like down on it, but like a Christmas release adaptation of Little Women felt like a weird follow up to Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. It, it does, but then when you see the movie, it, it makes yeah. so much sense. It makes yeah. tons of sense. But but like, like I was saying, you have to give yourself over yeah. to it a little bit, but then you give it five minutes and you're one, you're one over. Yeah, and I was saying that as someone again who who was a fan of the I was about to say the property, which feels <laughs> incredibly <laughs> uh, big fan of the franchise. The returns big, have been big uh, fan quite, of the cinematic yeah. universe. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that the author is dead is quite good. Uh, less royalties to pay out. Uh, and again, it has a it has a little bit of a Mister Show sketch for one line in the middle, um, and that's great too. I I, I like. Greta Gerwig had to have known that she. Oh was doing, yeah, it does she, not she feel unself aware. Yeah, have you? It's so fucking. Have funny. you seen the video wh- where it's it's that scene with the Marvel cheering in the background when he says yes, the line? Yes, I have. Uh, yeah, beautiful. I have. It's great. <laughs> Peter, what's your number three? My number three is um the the, the year it came out is kind of difficult, but we're gonna do it. We're gonna go with uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, so Tigers Are Not Afraid originally came out in Mexico in 2017. It didn't really reach wide release in the States until 2019. That's why it's included on the list. Yeah, it's a 2019 movie. Yeah, it's a 2019 movie. movie. I just wanted to note that because when you look it up on Letterboxd, it's going to say 2017. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, this is a, uh, magical realism horror movie. Um, and it is, uh, it's a deeply beautiful movie about trauma. It's a deeply um, thought-provoking movie about how trauma can uh, interact or intersect with um, sort of a, a childlike view of the world. And that children see themselves as like in sort of a grander adventure because the world is so much bigger than them. And uh, these, these, these children see themselves as these children in this uh, cartel-ravaged, um, essentially like ghost city. Um see themselves as like part of a grand adventure and you know one of them sees himself as essentially like a cartel hitman and and um the this this world is filled with the ghosts and the trauma of the past and uh the fact that it is um so stuffed with ideas there's like graffiti that grows and crawls along the wall but it's also a movie about like a cartel plot to take over a political seat and like it's also like a fully developed plot a bunch of about a bunch of kids like trying to survive in a uh, unsurvivable situation um and it all comes together 
into this like wonderful like uh, fantasy tragedy mix um, is uh, the sort of thing that makes me want to look out for Issa Lopez for the rest of her career. She is so goddamn impressive, um, and I can't wait to see what she comes up with next. Uh, yeah, I uh, this is one of the rare horror movies, especially that Peter and I had differing opinions of. I thought it was very well directed, but I didn't really like it all that much. Um, but I also recognize I'm in the extreme minority on that view because fellow dissolvers and movie friends and horror movie friends fucking love it. Um, I'm not quite sure why it didn't work for me, but it just, um, maybe, maybe it'll, uh, hit different later. Maybe, uh, it just didn't register the, you know, didn't check the boxes. It could go either way. Yeah. Uh, but a well done movie would definitely check out what comes next from her as well. Yes. I hope so. Carrie. Number three. My number three is The Farewell. Uh, That was my number 16 or 17. So close. Yeah. This is a movie that kind of crept up on me in terms of how deep it has gotten into my psyche. Uh, The first time I watched it, I walked away from it saying like, wow, that was a really lovely, beautifully made film. That, you know, I'm so glad I saw. And I I didn't really know how strongly I felt about it until I happened to watch it again. And there are so many small moments. It's it's a film about um, a uh, Aquafina plays a young woman who go who travels to China to see her grandmother, um, who is very sick, uh, and doesn't know that she's sick. Um, and the fam- the family is all there on the pretense of a wedding. And this is like the goodbye trip where they can't tell grandma what's happening. Um, and this is, uh, Lulu Wang who directed the film, wrote and directed the film. This is her true story about an experience that she went through. And, it is a film that really beautifully explores like the uh, immigration and the experience of uh, coming back into a world that you're familiar with but is not entirely your own and trying to find a place in it and trying to deal with expecting grief before it actually comes and family dynamics and it is a mm-hmm. film of like carefully crafted small beautiful moments there is a moment that comes towards the end of the film that involves a the a, a cover of a Leonard Cohen song that i mm-hmm. think about you know like several times a week at least mm-hmm. it's just such a it's a stunning moment and uh, I, I'm so glad I ended up seeing this movie a second time because it really cemented for me how powerful it is. Yeah, I did only see it the one time, but here's my here's my impression of me watching it for the first time. Oh, yeah, that was really good. Four-star movie. Looks at my phone, goes to Letterboxd, looks up, reads text on screen, pauses for a <laughs> couple minutes. Yeah, it's going to be a five-star movie, I think. I'm going to update that that rating i just gave uh yeah definitely the best on tech screen uh and like of a movie ever yeah. i think oh yeah i've talked about 
I've talked about on this very podcast of how like there's a couple examples of movies where the most infuriating part on screen is the text after the movie ends. Yeah. Um, specifically, Spotlight still stands out to me as a movie that is um, a, gr- a really good movie and extremely anger-inducing. And then, like, it bumps up to like, uh, "How do I burn down everything?" When you see the text on screen at the end of that movie, yep. um, and, and I think Thirteenth has that a little bit. Like, there's a few other movies I'm thinking of. I've never seen one where the text on screen makes me go. Let's throw a party with a bunch of people yeah. and celebrate existence. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 if that text was not what it is, I don't think it would quite land as strongly as it does the film in general. No, yeah. that's that's why it was like, oh yeah, and a four star, really beautiful, touching. We'll recommend that to like a great movie to recommend to like your parents. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you see the text on the screen, you're like, oh. Uh, I'm crying. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> things things have changed from moments ago. So many feelings. This movie. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a movie like Birds of Patch- Passage that like if I had stopped watching movies three weeks ago, it would have been on my top fifty. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um. Uh. So my number three is a movie we've already talked about a little bit. Uh, which is Midsummer. It is a movie that has not left my head since the first time I saw it. I've seen it once since then. Um, right when it came out on Blu-ray, I still really want to see the director's cut that they did, like, the worst type of exclusive, like, hope you buy movies digitally on Apple specifically, because then you can see the what director's intention. Like, especially in the age where, like, Just digital, ma- dig- or whatever, uh, 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 physical media is kind of going away like just give us both copies on one disc and stop being weird about it or at least like sure make it something that like uh if you a digital platform only like we didn't get it in time to press it on the blu-ray but you can rent it like a like dr sleep dr sleep is on both versions but like yeah. um don't make it like a fucking pre-order bonus <laughs> like it's a goddamn video game <laughs> yeah it's your uh your mid you want the DLC. movies dlc yeah <laughs> The director intends you to play it with DLC. We're just letting you know. But you got to get it at GameSpot before um, before November 7th. Prices are limited. <laughs> and I and I really appreciate, like, I could spend forever. We're, we're going to do this movie at some point in the show. Carrie's going to be the guest. We've already decided. Uh, possibly uh, later this year. Uh, likely later this year. So I don't want to go too much. But it is a movie that um, I think we're going to do a four-hour episode on. Because there's so much there to talk about so i'm gonna keep it brief and say two things one it is the best daylight horror movie since who can kill a child Um, uh, where yeah daylight horror is tough and it's true that this isn't like um if if you're expecting a uh, spooky ghost story or something like that it's not that but you know what most of these types of movies are not like we talk about that with horror movies all the time like wicker man is a terrifying movie from the implications but i don't think there's much in wicker man that's like scary like necessarily no there's so, I mean, it's like one fourth of it is uh, fully one fourth of it is a folk musical yeah <laughs> A very, uh, I don't know if they're good songs, but they did stay in my head to the point that I thought I was going mad for a little bit. <laughs> they're not, I don't find them as arousing as a whatever Woodward, Bob Woodward, whatever his name is. I don't think he broke the Nixon case, but uh, whatever his name is, Wood, yeah, Woodward. I, I, what's the guy's name? Oh, I see. I see what you're doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know his actual name. Um, whatever the 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 stiff guy, the stiff British guy. 
I don't I don't know if those songs would have aroused me the way they did to him, but they certainly worked on him. The other thing I will say about it that I really like that it is a movie that um I think you go, oh, it's about a like scary pagan cult that murders people and is bad. And that's what you see at the beginning, and then you're like, oh, it's actually like very clearly about like this toxic relationship and like at the end you are like cheering for the character from like you know finding this new life for herself and like then also there's so much after that like where you're reconciling with like okay but isn't that how like cults work like Mm -hmm. that you that like they take people at their when they don't really like when their loved ones are either not are not there for them. And that can mean because they're, uh, you know, emotionally abusive boyfriends or because they've died or, you know, they're just isolated, all these kind of things. And like, it's, it's a weird movie where it seduces you into the cult's mentality and kind of makes you forget that like, Oh, this group is not good. (laughs) And there's a lot of other layers to it, but it is such a complex movie that has so much to say and the the best thing about it is that it's actually saying all of it right it it is saying that like there is a um uh, it is both a metaphor for a toxic relationship and a non like a literal more for like the seduction of 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 cults and stuff like that so just a fantastic movie yeah um though i think the cult is good i'm in the minority here um the cult is great uh well yeah you're never mind i'm not gonna say that Uh. (laughs) i think it's it's also a movie that meets you where you are in terms of interpretation like i keep i keep keep talking about how it's like a rorschach kind of test where like what you personally are bringing to the table is what you will get from this experience and i i I, why we will talk about this more another time is like peter and i both had like very different perspectives i think that we were already bringing to the material that then led to very different readings of it and then i've read and you know heard people talk about other readings that were very much rooted in their personal experience that like would never have occurred to me but also still really land it makes sense yeah yeah, I think that's the key. Like, it is – Rorschach test is a perfect way to describe it mm-hmm. because it is not about – there's no mystery to unlock, no. right? It's all, it's like, all right you're, there. You're not, you're, not, you're not talking about which fan theory do you buy into, which continuity makes sense to you. It's really like what do you take away and it's all potentially there. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I've read a lot of readings of it too that didn't occur to me. Um, that was like, oh, yeah, maybe I need to look at it from that perspective. So very excited to do that at some point. But yeah, one of the much like Peter, I think five, five of my or four of my top five are either horror or horror adjacent. Um, it was a really good year for some fantastic yeah. uh, horror movies. But uh, we're, we're in the exciting part. So why I say it's exciting is a little teaser for those of us that have for those of you that stayed with us through this. Um, I feel like I know all of our number one movies. I'm not sure if I know any of our number two movies. Oh, wait. I know Peter's. <laughs> I don't know Carrie's. I just realized what Peter's yeah. is. You did, a, uh, you did Peter, like a poker thing where you're like, what cards are left in the deck? <laughs> I did. I I counted cards and I realized that I forgot that someone still has a, uh, what's the most appropriate? Probably like a king of clubs or something. A joker. <laughs> oh, man. If it was Joker. 
people did not down. properly sort the deck beforehand. It's um, oh, the rules card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter. Um, what is your number two? As if I need to ask. Uh, the lighthouse. Uh, the lighthouse is a film that was made specifically for me and no one else. Not for Aaron. Um, and no, just kidding. That's why it's number five for me. <laughs> uh, it, it is a film. I re- I liked it, but I recognized it was made for Peter. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there was the, of course, the, the dedication at the beginning of the film. Um, made it very clear that it was for me. Um, and the threatening letters and the cease and desist you sent me. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, Aaron, if you Robert Eggers signed them too, so. Um, I mean, Robert Eggers was written on a piece of paper. Yeah. Was it notarized? Yeah, but he would have signed them if he were there to sign them. <laughs> um, anyways, so, uh, The Lighthouse. Um, this is a film that made, is made specifically for, uh, I think, me, um, Aaron, um, <laughs> my interests in particular. Um, the fact that it is taking a sort of antiquated uh, technology... Uh, shooting it in this extreme uh, low exposure uh, sort of film stock, um, but shooting a modern film with modern film techniques in it uh, and shooting a straight up cosmic horror movie within it um, really speaks to my soul. Uh, I knew the movie was for me within eight seconds of sitting down. Uh, well, not within eight seconds of sitting down in the theater, within eight seconds of the the first reel starting. Um, within eight seconds of sitting down in the theater, I was probably watching a trailer for something else uh, or uh, a uh, promotion for uh, the, whatever local bar was next to the theater. Um, <laughs> but uh, the point here is that the uh, the film is a story of uh, two men um, bound together by uh, duty, by a job. Uh, whose sins and their uh, the, the the ensuing catharsis uh, drags uh, every horrible thing they've ever done to the surface. And by the end of the movie, you don't actually know who has done what. You don't actually know who's showboating and creating a tragic backstory for themselves, and uh, who actually uh, uh, did some horrific, awful things in their past. Uh, and the point is that the truth doesn't ultimately matter because these people have so deluded themselves um, into a, a point where reality in their background, as well as in their present situation, is completely fungible. Like, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on. I think by the end, we know Willem Dafoe's dead. We don't know if there's actually like a cursed storm on them because they killed a bird in a sort of rhyme in the ancient mariner thing. Maybe, maybe not. Um, maybe they're at, it's actually a retelling of Proteus. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you guys laugh, but that is accurate. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it is like a, it's a film that's very much open to uh, it's open to a sort of flexible interpretation. And it's also a movie that, like, I've seen people get very, very mad about. Um, but for me, it spoke to something that I needed this year, which was a sort of, like, a, a, a formalist, uh, you know, first shot of war. Like, a, a formalist shot across the bow is what I want to say. Um, because, like, I, I needed a movie like this this year. This is the sort of movie that only, like, a Robert Eggers could have made. Um, and I'm so glad that we got... Uh, the distribution company and the production company to bring it to us. Um, so Lighthouse is a movie I'm very thankful for. Yeah, and I think um, it could potentially 
be our number one movie next year if we someone recuts it where the soundtrack instead of the fog horns is that song I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. <laughs> <laughs> then it would technically qualify for 2020 and yeah we could we could we could squeeze. Yeah, it's like uh the other side of the wind then. Yeah, we talked about uh <laughs> our our 2020s included or sorry, our TikToks included for 2020. Oh, uh, sure. yes. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Carrie, I honestly have no idea what this is going to be unless you really surprise us with number one. Uh, So what is your number two movie? I am apparently going to really surprise you with number one. Number two is is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Interesting. I have no fucking clue what's coming. So so Portrait is a movie that, again, I I, I saw it was on the second watch that it unlocked it for me. The first time I saw it, I thought it was excellent, and I didn't get. I think Peter and I were talking about a little, a little bit about this off um, mm-hmm. uh, in the chat before, but like, I I didn't get a huge emotional response to it the first time I saw it. I was brought in intellectually. I it gave me a whole lot of things to think about in terms of. Uh, art and representation and uh, abortion methods from a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but it's a and soon to be current. Oh, sad. Sorry, um, I bummed everyone out. I'll take that out. <laughs> but but the second time I saw it is when it really unlocked for me. And this is a film about uh, a woman. Uh, in France, who is in the uh, late 1700s, I think. Is that one? Yeah. And uh, yeah. she is she's an artist and she is sent to this house to uh, paint a portrait of a young woman who is uh, off to be married. And the portrait is going to be sent to her betrothed, and that is how you arrange marriages back in the day. And because of uh, traumatic events, uh, this is a woman who is not interested in sitting for a portrait. She doesn't want to be married. She doesn't want to buy into the patriarchal expectations. So it all has to be done in secret. Um, And the relationship between them that develops... Never a hundred percent lands for me as a romance as it plays out because it's a film that when it's you know from the first shot that this is about a doomed love affair. You know that this is about people that are not going to be able to stay together. I think that there was a part of that that made it difficult for me to feel the romance in the moment. And I started on second watch watching it as a ghost story because it's very Mm. much a film about memory and it's very much a film about the way that we remember the people uh that have meaning for us and there is this ghostly image that keeps coming up that's like uh you don't know what it is and you find out eventually that it's you know a premonition of things to come um and the way that that imagery is used, the way that it 
brings in this like witchy bonfire moment that comes out of nowhere that is utterly stunning. Uh, it, it started. Yeah. It started getting this like not exactly supernatural, but this like uh. An, 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 an energy of things that are beyond exactly what's in the here and now and the way that time and memory and grief makes us think of things in terms of ghosts. And once I started watching it that way, the movie really clicked for me in a deep way. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things where, like, you know it's doomed, and it's still, like, their chemistry as characters just makes it impossible not to still root for them in some way. Like, that they're going to get there. Like, you know, maybe they will run off. Maybe they will do something. Like, and and unfortunately, just because it's hi- a highly rated movie among critics that I follow means that that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That that was a way that I knew. Nothing says art film more than tragedy, and I and that's why I guess I was like still hoping against hope that maybe there was some version of it. And when again, there's there is some level of revelation about the their ongoing nature of their relationship that is so like beautiful because it, it for the second you realize that maybe whether they end up together or not doesn't matter, like. Um, it does. It's terrible that they, you know, did all the stuff that surrounds that. But like that level of like passion and love beyond any boundaries that society was trying to force on them can survive. Like you can't. I think the the flame is such a perfect metaphor, and I'm sure it's on purpose. It's like ultimately, like you know, you can cover the flame and you can do that stuff, but like cinders remain. Yeah. Like the it's impossible to fully extinguish you know the 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 flame that burns and so it the fact that it it um it does that in a way a little more directly than i was expecting almost gave me that same like a, a stronger emotion emotional catharsis than if their relationship wasn't doomed oh that, yeah like, you know love is love uh it does not like it is a it is a um it is a losing battle for to for a society to try to punish or stop people from being with people that they care about, whether it's from a relationship standpoint or a familial standpoint or a friendship, like any of those versions, like it is just, you know, yeah, it's impossible to stamp out the fire. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think part of what uh, makes this film like particularly exceptional is that a lot of romances like this sort are really just about the romance and yeah. which is fine um and this movie is about so many things it is about yeah. class dynamics and it is about art and it is about you know how you look at people and what that means and it is like i i i i saw it within a couple weeks of seeing uh, Hades Town on Broadway and who knew that Orpheus was having such a cultural moment right now <laughs> like there is so it's such a deeply rich film that I, when when the romance wasn't initially like fully clicking for me it didn't really matter because there's so much else there and all of it yeah. is 
amazing. So no matter what you're looking for and what kind of story you you want out of, you know, your your period romance, there's going to be something that's going to stir you. So, yeah. 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 Um, my number two is Us, a movie that we've probably forgotten about since Peter mentioned it. Man, um, I'm sorry I ranked it uh so uh so low but it did it did make my my 15 uh aaron well why you got it so high i i I like i love the movie too don't worry don't worry i'm not uh (laughs) yeah i (laughs) yeah no but i know peter i'm not gonna hurt you just calm down Uh, um, like uh if our numbers don't line up uh aaron hurts me (laughs) um no matches here but it's fine it's fine peter just relax we'll get a matchy soon Um, i promise I know. Next. Next one will be a matchy. I love Get Out. I think it was my number three when we did this in 2017. Uh, still love it. Um, I think Get Out works better than us as like a conventional, I shouldn't conventional is not the right word, but like as a like effective horror thriller with a lot to fucking say. This movie There's less kind of loose is, ends. It all kind of like uh, congeals together, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a clockwork design, right? Like everything yes. fits mm-hmm. at the end. It's more elegant. Um, this is a messy fucking movie that I think is both more horrific and scary and also just like I have talked about this movie for so long with so many people about all the different things it's trying to talk about. And again, it's trying to t- talk about it from a perspective that I don't have. So I feel also like elucidated by all the different things it's talking about, uh, whether it's about like the way our country treats people, the way our country treats immigrants, the way there's like a, an element of like – black guilt that exists when um when someone like it rises above necessarily like the station they were born into and like uh you know t- it tries to kind of um to ignore the that that past and um and as such is kind of part of an oppression that exists not caused by them but one that they're participating in and like like I could go on and on about all the themes, but at the end of the day, I've seen it about three or four times, and every single time that part when they see the family outside is fucking scary as shit. Like I was a little surprised to hear you say, Peter, that like uh, <laughs> this is where my attacks come. So brace yourself. Um, I was surprised to say say that you you thought like thematically it'll hold up on rewatch and all the different like subtext to digest, but that the horror itself like, isn't going to stick with you after that initial blast. It, it's that when they're outside the house the first time and they come into the house and they have that conversation, like that is obviously like all time horror moments. It's going to be on lists forever. It's at, I, after that moment sort of clears and the air clears. I think like the core horror of it doesn't work as well for me as, as much as like the, the subtext of it just like hits me. I, I guess I still kind of disagree. Like, obviously that's the, that's the best horror moment. Um, tellingly so like they featured it in the trailer and still fucking freak the shit out of everyone that's seen the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most part the first time like we're gonna show it to you and you're still gonna be scared like that's how effectively it's done it's but i would audacious. also say that yeah i would also say that like there's so much later on that like while it doesn't meet that level of horror that's like an impossible mountain to climb like that is maybe one of the most effective horror moments of the last 10 years or whatever but i would say that like uh, the stuff uh, uh, at Tim Heidecker's house. Um, oh God, yeah, um, is like when when um, the before the the family actually like 
comes there is just incredibly like surprising and terrifying. I would say the way that everyone reacts to what happens at Tim Heidecker's house afterwards is terrifying. I would say the whole car chase scene um, when they're when um, the daughter ends up on the street with her doppelganger is terrifying. I would say just the image of after all this murder and mayhem, all of these um, people being joined hand in hand on the streets and eventually across larger areas is fucking like chilling type terrifying. Yeah. So. Um, I yeah, I think it is just horrific throughout. And, you know, Get Out, I think the thing about Get Out that is, is and I do not mean this dismissively. Obviously, we're talking about like the third and second favorite movies and five star movies of respective years. But the thing about Get Out is that people I feel like that I had discussions with, we all talked about the same moments, like that sense of panic when we see the cop car show up at the end or like all these other things that like the movie is perfect at delivering. In a level of consistency that ever, like, I remember that moment in Get Out and the whole audience gasps. And in that moment, every person in that audience in, like, a white suburb in Minneapolis is scared of the cops, right? And what that means. And, like, that is a very specific move that he built the movie around, in my opinion. And it, and everyone of, uh, reacts, seems to react the same. Us. It just has so much stuff going on that I feel like I had 30 different conversations about what the most effective part was with people and what's the part that stuck with them. And I think it changes each time I watch it. And like, I like, I mean, I, I couldn't have been more all in with Jordan Peele just making Get Out, let alone like I was a big fan of uh, uh, what's the movie? I'm forgetting the name now because it's super late. What's the what's the Key and Peele movie essentially that they made? Keanu? Keanu, oh, yeah. which I actually love. I think it's great. It's a ton of fun. Um, and I loved Key and Peele. Like, I was already in on 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 him before Get Out. But, like, I am so excited for what comes next from him because I love that he, he – you know, he keeps saying he has all these other scripts in his pocket that he's been working on for a long time. And, like, I just can't imagine a more emotionally or and thematically rich filmmaker working right now. Yeah. yeah, in any genre. Yeah, we're we're extremely lucky to have someone not just be, uh, not just be in the fraught position of a, 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 a of a man with something to prove, but like um, to be in the position where he is now producing projects and people he believes in, like Nia DaCosta. I I can't believe people still think he's directing Candyman. Um, yeah, like Nia DaCosta is directing Candyman. It's a filmmaker that he believes in he's in a position that he is allowed to, you know, be like uh, step forth and vouch for her. Um, and also, uh, and like, he's, did I say Jordan Peterson instead of Jordan later? I am going to edit it out. That's it's 2am brain. I want to be very clear. Jordan, Jordan Peterson. I am not all in on. No, I thought you said Jordan Peele. Okay, good. That's so good. Maybe it was my name plus you saying Jordan a bunch. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm Peter and I'm a son. True. Um, So, Peter, we can handle this one or two ways since our number one is the same. We could either go (laughs) Now it sounds like an Irishman line. Uh, (laughs) We can handle this one or two ways. Uh, We can handle this one or two ways. Either we agree now or we agree later. You want to do the countdown thing again? Sure. And Carrie can close this out, which feels better anyways. Three. Since I have no idea what it's going to be. Three. Two. Two. One. One, Jojo Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, well played. I did it. Well I called my shot. I did it. Four and a half hours later. Uh, sorry, um, no, it's it's yeah. He's, it's, he's of course, a it's he who loves for lives for drama. He can't help himself. Um, well done. Check my letter. Uh, no, it's uh, you can check my letterbox list. It's nowhere near. Uh, number one. Number one is of course Parasite, and like I I almost put it as uh, like Us was was number one for a while until I saw Parasite, and then I still left. Us is number one, but then I like I was like it's par- like it's Parasite, and I should like I'm I'm not saying it is like a how dare my number one movie be the best movie of the year, the one that won the you know best picture Oscar and all this kind of stuff, but it feels almost at this point kind of like oh you like Parasite, great everyone does the fucking Academy Awards liked it so much that despite uh hi- history and everything else gave it the best picture, but like. Man, it just feels like more resonant every day. It really day. is and that like, good. That's the thing. It, it really, really is, is that, that good. good. Yeah. And um, the part, because it's been talked about so much, the one part I want to highlight is the part I think about the most. And there's so many good scares. There's so many good surprises. There's so many great acting moments. But the part I still think about all the time is them having to go back to their house, falling down the stairs while the rainwater just pours down those stairs like a waterfall. Yeah. And Peter, you talked about the Wolf of Wall Street as being like, um, unfortunately, a seductive vision for the worst people in our society mm-hmm. where they don't see all the 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 toxicity and damage and rot at the center of it. They see flash and excitement and booze and money and stuff like that. And I think the why the that part in Parasite gets me so much is like I, as an audience member started to want that for these characters that I started like I hope like I hope they figure out a way to take these people's place and live in this audience and I got comfortable with them in in this kind of like um even though in this like um house on the hill so to speak where they you know got to have all these comforts and they got to have those moments where they're just sitting around and drinking and stuff like that in a way that made up for the fact that in that moment as a, as a film watcher that they didn't that there was tons of people left behind and they were kind of forced into this by society's delineation of the haves and the have-nots and who's deserving of like um, to have that kind of basic moments of like happiness without having to worry about where your next meal's coming from or where your next paycheck's coming from and all this stuff. And when, and when through that downpour, they end up having to go back to it, like you almost feel, you feel sad in that, like they don't get an opulence that really no one deserves as long as people live there. But then you also feel a pang of guilt that you, instead of wanting, Instead of wanting uh, a better system for everyone involved or that the the have mores or whatever to have it taken away from them, instead you just start wishing good capitalist thoughts on these four, you know, entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. in our society. And like, rarely do I have a moment where I feel like, um, even as like a whatever, a lefty socialist, you know, progressive, whatever else, that I feel like the movie both uh, elucidated uh, an issue that I thought, you know, doesn't necessarily always think about me and then indicted me in the moment. And um, and I think that's the part I still think of is them walking down those stairs and you as an audience member forgetting that those stairs exist and that there's houses down those waterfalls down in that um, in the in the, the have nuns that uh, 
that they are forced to go back to. Yeah. Yeah, perfectly yeah. said. Yeah, I think you I think you stated most of my feelings there. Uh I will add on that um it's uh for a show that we started um for the express purpose of introducing people to movies they may not have heard of or um reintroducing movies to uh people that uh may they, they may have uh given one <gasps> look and then moved on. Um Is that why we started this? I started this to drink on Tuesdays. Oh. <laughs> Oh yeah. Sorry, Sorry, I buried that under alcoholism. I thought I had like a higher yeah. level of a like a, <laughs> you know, honorability here. Um but the uh the, the, the my point here is that like usually I like to introduce people to uh to, to new movies and like in previous years my, when I've made my favorite list the, the film list of the year, it's been kind of fun to be like my number one in the movie is a number one that I haven't seen on other people's lists and it's not a conscious thing cuz that would be very pretentious. There's something both uh, a little bit of a, uh, but also like a little bit of a, like a, uh, uh, with Parasite being a movie that's literally like <laughs> the fucking Academy Awards have recognized as, <laughs> as like, Well, it's the type yeah. of the movie that would normally be number one on your list, and it would be something that feels like you're pleading with people to be aware of this movie. Yes. It's just in a weird twist of fate that didn't end up happening this time. And it's like, and it's like the dude who made Snowpiercer and was yeah. playing in this, the, the little theater at the music box, which anybody who's been there um, would know what I'm talking about. It's like the tiny theater right next to it. Um, as opposed to the main screen, um, that guy who made like a genre movie, uh, like about a, a train on an apocalypse planet. He makes a, a, a thriller that uh, all of a sudden captivates the entire, uh, you know, the entire nation in such a way that people willfully uh, and obtusely ignore what the message of the movie is <laughs> um, in a way that I'm literally not going to spend more than this amount of time on. Um, that movie wins Academy Awards. Like, it's just, um, it's the sort of film that I'm, I'm, I'm as repressive and as uh, beaten down as I can feel, as repressed and as beaten down as, as I can feel in 2020, it, it is kind of wonderful that, like, artists still get to make movies like that, that, like, their movies expressly about how capitalism is evil, and yet they're put out in, like, a capitalist system, and the capitalist system's like, yeah, well, I guess people like this messaging, I guess we have to keep pushing it forward, like, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I love, I love Parasite, and, uh, you, if you, uh, you still have questions about seeing Parasite, I mean, come on, man. It's amazing. We'll yeah. Yeah. There's we'll no... see Parasite. Uh, who, how many more people do you need to endorse Parasite before you go fucking see it? There's now been a Criterion uh, release that came out two months ago. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go buy, go buy that. Drum roll, the number one movie. I have no idea what this is going to be, and I'm excited. Carrie, what was your number one movie of 2019? Uh, this is how I win, baby. <laughs> oh! <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I feel like I am a true New Yorker because I find <laughs> uncut gems to be soothing. <laughs> I have watched it four times and it develops this rhythm of like the predictability of the chaos is almost <laughs> meditative. Yeah. And I, I obviously 
it's an extremely stressful film. But knowing the beats of it now and understanding yeah. the path that he's on and understanding like what highs he's going to have before it all comes crashing down, it feels... Uh, it's it's there's a there's like a musicality to it there's a rhythm to it that is just uh exquisite and i was not expecting to like this movie at all because i the only other film i had seen of theirs was good time which uh did not do very much for me and i i i kind of was nervous about seeing this um and i even though i said earlier like i do apparently really enjoy like basketball and basketball adjacent films <laughs> like I, I i was thinking like a sports movie by the softy brothers and like yeah of course i like adam mm-hmm. sandler but like i don't know like this isn't gonna really be for me and it just completely hooked me from the start um you know and you get you get a beautiful scene of adina menzel trying on her bat mitzvah dress and yeah. like screaming at him and telling him like how he's yeah. not screaming actually at all speaking very calmly but like completely dressing him down and telling him about how he's yeah. a terrible person that she never wants to see again <laughs> yeah. the women all yeah. get like super powerful cool moments yeah. like god yeah it's it's uh and and like the best character actor cast i think i've seen ever every every bit part is just like flawlessly cast and executed yeah i i love i love this weirdo movie so fucking much (laughs) honestly i i i'm gonna say your number one movie might as well have been uh the movie the snowman because you gave us all the clues i can't give you many uh, clues <laughs> you said it was a sports adjacent and you mentioned specifically you would talk about it later <laughs> um and for some reason i thought we all talked about it but i guess it was just peter and myself but yeah uh that great 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 number one pick and i get i kind of get what you're saying about you know having seen it a couple times like it is soothing <laughs> in a weird way of like um, you know this part's going to happen. You know there's going to be a downfall here. You know it's going to be a high. And you almost like look forward to it like you do action beats in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, um, exactly. While still feeling gutted at the end. I forget uh, I, I forget where I read this, um, but I, I, I read a comment from someone about how Arno's backstory, the brother-in-law, um, Eric Bogosian yeah. character – is it seems like he is in recovery and he sees Howard as like the person who he once was or could have been and is even though he's like horrible to him for a lot of the movie he's really trying to save him and help him and he's trying, he's trying to tough love him yeah and in and in subsequent watches i have gotten more invested in focusing on his character and his movements and he, how yeah. he comes into that final scene where you see the hope coming on his face is i think one of the most brilliant moments of that tragedy where he Agreed. he is kind of being like, oh my god, this is the moment where it's all actually going to finally be okay after this. 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think his performance is great. And um, yeah, you definitely notice a lot of nuance. I will say, like, I, I agree that he has a past, which is probably how he ended up like being a book, like being in the situation in the first right. place. Um, and that he sees some similarities. I, I also see it as like one of the one of the ways, like in a little bit of dif- um, again, in the same way, <laughs> kind of a different different context but in the same way that you were talking about like understanding context with uh the people in the manson call is important to not not uh calling them innocent of their crimes but understanding a little more the context i do think that one thing you see with howard especially as a relation to the brother-in-law is that like something that is very real for real for real life is that you would you would think that people who have been through similar shit would have empathy for for people that haven't quite maybe you know climbed that particular mountain and um a lot of times what you find instead unfortunately is not like compassion for someone that's on a different part of the journey than you but contempt at uh the person that you used to be that you're seeing through this and so that makes that makes support the kind of support that those people need very difficult to come by because as you said peter like you like Eric Bogosia should know that in he, when he was in that situation, again, basic human empathy, that like you could have never tough loved him probably out of it. Or you did tough love him out of it, and now he thinks that like, oh, if I did it this way, everyone should do it this way. And so, again, it's that lack of, of compassion, it's that lack of empathy, and instead um, – that kind of narcissism that exists where you see everyone as an extension of yourself, including like people's own demons and sins and stuff like that. So I, I think you're dead on. I just think it that, that, yeah. And I, I just think that part is why it's such a complex and intricate movie to watch more than once, because like you realize that like Howard, Howard can exist in a world where he has fully made himself there. He mm-hmm. may be accountable for all his actions to get there, but like no one ends up where Howard is in a in a vacuum without people throughout his life that have uh you know uh help, helped him get there either intentionally or unintentionally. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it, it is a film that has completely re- rewarded on every rewatch and I look yep. forward to uh relaxing to it for many years to come. <laughs> realizing where people's limits are in that movie and like where they're being crossed and where they're gonna push back on those limits yeah is absolutely rewarding because when the the final tragedy lands as as carrie put it like uh you know definitively where where people's lines are um yeah yeah uh, it is a character drama that lets you uh it rewards you looking back because this is a also a group of liars um mm-hmm. will do anything to kind of get their ultimate goal <laughs> and, like, well, and to use and to use him as needed right yeah. that's the thing is like because howard does have wins yeah some people some people like they they hang out with him when he's on his wins and up and take advantage of him in that way um and that's why i think he's so surprised that his like mistress isn't doing that right because he hasn't had someone that actually cares about him whether he's up or down their relationship is so genuine like the yeah. scene i think i think the scene that made me realize like oh holy shit i love, I love this movie is yeah. when he is hiding in the closet in her apartment 
And you think like, oh my God, this is going to be like an incredibly creepy and weird scene. And what ends up happening is they've both brought in each other their favorite takeout for the other person. And they start Uh like sexting uh, when he's in the apartment and she doesn't realize it in this like very kind of like playful romantic way. And then when he finally jumps out of the closet... It feels like, oh, he must do this all the time. And she's, like, totally there for it. Totally, like, Mm -hmm. fake, mad, but really into the whole thing. And, like, it's such an adorable and sweet scene that seems like it could be so skeevy so easily. And that was was the moment that sold me on everything. (laughs) It also reminds you that Madonna's reign is a very good song. Yes. Um... <laughs> uh, a lot of movies to go back and like, oh yeah, add that to the old Spotify list. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie, thank you so yeah, much for coming. Thank you so much, on. Carrie. What this is was amazing. so much fun. Thank you guys for having me for this. We will see if next year, when you join us again for this, if we can top five hours. This is the longest recording by almost an hour we've ever done, and I enjoyed every second. Yeah, of it. so, it's so, so good. Much, so much. Thank you guys. Um, although Peter, I'm sure, is very happy that we switched around some order stuff so that this is my edit. <laughs> <laughs> but but I am too because uh, this uh, this has been a joy, and I can't wait to re-listen to it uh, as we as we do that. Carrie, do you have anything to promote? Knowing that it is the first week of January in 2021. Uh, yeah, I'm still. I mean, you know that. Yes, because of you're course like, I know that. Dates are the same no matter where you are. Yeah. Uh, my 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 work stuff, I haven't had anything to promote for a bit because I've, I'm working on a very long-term project that no one didn't cite on yet. But uh, I, I'm still January doing... Not 2021? Still not... No, still not then. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still doing my tarot Instagram. If you want to do witchy Ooh. stuff with me, follow Cards From C on Instagram. I'll... I'll send the link in the show notes and uh uh yeah we'll copy it from our other show that we haven't released yet. that's right plug it yes that's my that's my self-care thing that i'm putting into the universe right now uh well peter we're actually starting 2021 proper next week with um uh, uh our a uh, winter's lovecraft part two or did we i feel like we, we came, came up with, with another title and i keep forgetting it uh you'll know you, it was great like i loved came it up with it Next week. <laughs> we will come up with it next week. I don't know if we say it on the episode or after we were done recording. No, so. it's... it's it, uh, we, uh, I think Ryan came up with it live on air. Oh, great. So you're going to hear the theme, but essentially it's more Lovecraft stuff. Uh, kicking off January, and we're starting with uh, the color... Or, sorry, Color Out of Space. The uh, 2020 um, Nicolas Cage movie. Richard Stanley directed movie um, that we also go very, very long on. Uh, we're Stanley stands. We're Stan stands as we talk about a lot next week. Um, almost too much. <laughs> uh, a bit much. Might get it. Might get it. And uh, and then we're we're doing uh, underwater, which is another uh, winter of twenty twenty. These are all like pre. I saw in the theaters when theaters were a thing movies. Um, but Underwater is uh, a fascinating movie that is like um, 
feels like uh, it sat for a couple years, feels like it was a more of a Lovecraft adaptation at an earlier stage. And then they dumped it into theaters. Uh, very excited to talk about that one. Cause I think there's a lot there and we're going to be doing a little bit of like hypothetical Monday morning quarterbacking where we kind of talk about, okay, but like this means that it feels like it should have been a little more developed. And, um, but I think there's a five-star movie in that three-star movie, but I think it's going to be fascinating to talk about. Um, and then we are uh, doing dark water. Uh, and do you want to tell them the specific dark water, Peter? As I learn on next week's episode that I have the wrong dark water in mind. Uh, yes, we are doing uh, the. Fuck, let me pull it up. Uh, we are talking about Dark Waters, uh, a uh, Mariano uh, Baiano uh, Italian horror movie from 1994. Oh! Not to be confused with the Japanese movie or the American remake of the Japanese movie. Or the Mark Ruffalo movie about environmental uh, crimes. Um, <laughs> or the concept of uh, ink spilling into a glass that you have near you. Yeah, uh, a hard-to-Google movie, unless you know the name Mariano Baiano, and that movie is currently streaming on uh, Shudder, at least in uh, 2020, so I don't know if that's helpful for anyone. Um, and yeah, uh, aquatic, uh, nunsploitation, uh, cult horror movie. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It better be. And then we're wrapping it up with uh, kind of a, one of the more independent, like, Lovecraft adaptations that have slipped, or uh, interpretations that have slipped through the radar, a movie called Black Mountain Side, which I'm very excited to see yes. for the first time um, as of this recording. So, uh, yeah, that's January 2021, a world that's either starting to get a little bit better or has gotten demonstrably worse. Um, either way... I guess we'll still be releasing episodes for a while. Um, so I hope you guys all have a wonderful day, night, year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. to watch. 
committed to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm. 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 <laughs> <laughs>